Hi, I'm Patrick John Fluger, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. Hey, Shy Hearts. Happy Friday. Welcome to a new episode of Meet Us at Molly's. This is episode 161. It is season premiere day or like the recap of season premiere night. But either oh. way, season premieres. I'm so glad they're back. Same. Oh my God. I, I missed them so much. I like actually kind of wanted to cry happy tears when I like saw the opening credits for Med. I was like, oh my God, it's finally happening. Through the whole three hours, I was like, it is so good to see everyone. I know. It, it felt so good. It felt so, so good. So yeah, this, there, there's so much to, Im- there's so much to unpack because you know, not only did the new season's premiere, but they dove right in to the issues that we've all been facing in 2020. They did not pull any punches. Um, Yeah. So, so there's a lot to discuss tonight. So I think or today, today we record at night, you know that, but we do have news to talk about. Um, We have a lot of news actually. So we're going to hit some of the high points on that. We first and foremost got episode descriptions for episodes two, so 602, 902, and 802. Brian, will you take us through MED? Yes, so MED 602 is titled Those Things Hidden in Plain Sight, and it says Goodwin announces a new ED chief, and the choice doesn't make everyone happy. Dr. Manning takes a stand for her patient and finds herself dealing with the repercussions, and Dr. Charles tends to a family to family affairs. I mean, I call that a normal Wednesday. Yeah, I know. I'm like, what's so different about that? Although we do know who the new ED chief is going to be. They gave that away in the promo for they did. next week. I don't really like the idea that Will's going to be bratty about it. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see, you know, we only saw one snippet. Yeah. Um, but we also don't know why there's a new ED chief. So, like, why is Lanik leaving? You know, like, why is this happening? Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. So Fire 902 is called That Kind of Heat. Brett and Mackie find their lives in peril. The girl just got here. Really? Uh, Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Brett and Mackie find their lives in peril. Casey and Brett tread in unfamiliar territory. Severi chases a memory while Kid adeptly solves a firehouse problem. Ritter puts himself in harm's way during a harrowing call. We've seen the promo photos. There's not many. There's some. But it looks like Ritter's going to have a good episode. Yeah, I'm really excited. But, like, how much is happening in this episode? I don't that know. That sounds like a lot. Uh, yeah, that, that does but, sound like a lot. I'm intrigued by Severide chasing a memory. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but I'm excited. A memory of Shay, a memory of Benny, a memory of Anna, you know. like we, we Benny, just, probably, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So. I also wouldn't be too baited by the promo. We all saw the promo and, you know, it looks like it's going to be all centered on Brett and Mackie, but it's one of those fake outs where that's going to be like the first five minutes and then the episode's going to be about other stuff. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's going to be like the entire episode, clearly. It's not going to be the entire episode, but yeah. No, no. So. And last up is PD. Brian, take it away. 
PD802 is titled White Knuckle, and it says, The son of an influential former officer is implicated in a murder, and more pressures Voight to charge him quickly so that the CPD isn't accused of preferential treatment. The stakes are raised in Atwater's fight against the Blue Wall after patrol officers re stop responding to his team's calls. Voight wants to help Atwater end this mistreatment, but the two can't agree on the right way to handle it. Wait a second. It's going to get worse than it was in the premiere because in the premiere it was pretty fucking bad. Yeah, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how it's going to get worse, but... God, ugh, poor Kevin. Just already, poor Kevin. I know. We'll, we'll get there. We'll but, get yeah. there. Oh. Um, we've got, also got not one but two unscripted episodes that have come out since the last time we talked news because obviously last week we had recorded before anything else. So we've got two more. We had one with Marina and Brian T. Um, that was fantastic. Another one. They're, they're all just 30-minute talks where they basically just stick these two people on Zoom and are like, go forth and have a conversation. Uh, yeah, which I love because one of the things, I mean, obviously I'm, they're all friends. I mean, they all work on Dick Wolf shows. Like, they're all friends. Mm -hmm. But it's really fun to be like, I don't know what Marina and Brian could talk about for 30 minutes. And then they just, like, rambled on, you know, they just ramble on. And I love every minute of it. It was good. Uh, we learned that Marina has a really tiny door in her apartment. Yes! <laughs> so funny. And she's already buying, you know, she buys gifts, like, way ahead of time, which I do too. So I love that about her. Oh, God, smart woman. I, wow. That sounds like something Marina would do. Yeah, I and love she doesn't everybody. have to worry about, you know, the mad rush at Christmas time. Oh, yeah. I've already started my Christmas shopping. I love it. I love it. Yeah, um, yeah it, it was good. It was good. Um, I honestly didn't finish the whole thing. I got preoccupied, but, you know, I, I think I stopped when they were talking about both having small children. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. I wonder if their daughters play. Brian's got, like, the cutest little daughter. Probably not now no. during COVID, but I'm sure before that. Yeah. So the other one that more, most recently came out is with Nick Gelfis and Peter Scandavino. Um, Peter plays Carisi on Law & Order SVU. That one went right over my head. I had no idea. <laughs> I loved it. I loved that one so much because it was so gloriously nerdy. I've only gotten to see like a few minutes of it, but I like, I was like, Peter, I was like, who the fuck is that? I was like, I don't know who he is. It was so delightfully nerdy because they got real in-depth about acting and, like, their craft and what they've studied and everything. And that's the kind of shit that I just eat up. Yeah, I know. But then Nick's such a nerd about that, too. But, yeah. He's adorable. I just can't. I, I, and this is not the first time I will, I will say this tonight. Just, he's adorable. I know. Um, yeah. Peter's adorable, too, though. And, actually, Peter is part of a bit of a bro TP slash sort of ship on SVU. That's kind of cute. Sometimes. Interesting. Um, yeah, so he and, he and Rollins are, like, besties. Oh, I, I know Rollins. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's ever become romantic. If you watch SVU, feel free to correct me. I don't think it's become romantic, but they've had some really cute moments. Yeah, I know nothing about SVU, but cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was great. I loved it because they just think they, they get real in-depth with the technical stuff and, like, Brian Gloss is over. But I sit there and I'm like, tell me more. Tell me more. No, I like the technical stuff. I just had no idea who Peter was. Yeah, yeah. Nick so has, in that terms, it went over my head. Nick has two degrees in acting, too. Yeah, I know, which is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing and really cool. Um, but the way he always describes it, he's like, oh, I have two degrees in pretending. Yeah, um, I love it. And also, Nick Elvis is such a dad because the very first joke out of his mouth, Peter's like, how are you? And he's like, so far, so negative, And that's a positive. <laughs> 
Nate Gelfus, what a guy. What a guy. I love him so much and his terrible dad jokes. I will, I will take them all day, every day. So hilarious. Okay, so over on fire, Derek Haas did multiple interviews. He did like three. Um, he was on the Watch With Us podcast with friend of the pod, Emily Longaretta. Mm-hmm. He did an interview with Give Me My Remote, and he did an interview with TV Line. And these are all, they all roughly say different versions of the same thing. So, Brenda, can you take us through this a little? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it also talks about things that we're about to talk about in the premiere. So, like, as of right now, it's kind of outdated. The only thing I will bring up that I thought was interesting is on Watch With Us with Emily, Derek said we're getting two episodes and then going off till 2021. Uh, so i mean i don't know which i mean i knew it wasn't like they were gonna do five or six right like i wasn't expecting that but like three four i don't know that's not gonna tide me over because you know next week they're gonna leave atwater in some horrible cliffhanger stop stop do not no we're not jinxing it stop true though stop I know. I know. Um, I had heard two or three, but with some of the latest news that's been coming out of Chicago, I could imagine it being two. Well, I mean, I'm sure, like, at some point they have to have decided already to, like, stop it, too, regardless of the COVID, you know? Yeah. Because at some point they're just not, I mean, they've only filmed, like, what, three episodes? I think Marina tweeted on Wednesday night that she was filming 803. Yeah, so, like, I mean, you know. That would be so one Chicago to be like, here are your shows back after seven months, and now we're going right into the mid-season finale. Yeah, basically. basically. So over on the PD side, Rick, I did a couple of interviews. Um, Rick did an interview with Give Me My Remote and TV Line and pretty much all the, the, the same outlets pretty much. And so... Uh, what Rick says in here is, you know, he talks about what's coming up and, you know, he, he says in one interview, he's like, massive trauma, like a global pandemic can make people rethink their relationships. You know, there was a question in there about Berzik and Upstead. And so he said, you know, the state of the world is weighing on everybody and, you know, Burgess still wants to have a child. It's the same stuff we've been hearing is that Upstead is, Upstead is brewing, Upstead's getting there. Um, and the Berziks are still kind of struggling with the miscarriage emotionally. Um, with regard to Rojas, they're still working out how to address her exit. Um, Rick had said in the interview, he was like, yeah, we had a way to address it in episode one, but it felt forced. And I'm like, yeah, but you're just, uh, we can't, yeah. we know who she is. I don't know what that, I, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, understand. Atwater will be front and center in the first two episodes, as we've seen from the premiere. And with regard to the cliffhanger we were supposed to have last season where somebody gets murdered, and I quote, things have changed. That's not the plan anymore. So congratulations, Jordan Atwater. You live to see another day. If it was you. We don't know. Yeah, but that also doesn't mean that someone isn't still going to get murdered. He never says that they canceled the storyline. He says things have changed. Why you gotta go there? Why you gotta go I there? mean, I'm just saying, not that I want anyone to be murdered, but... Just not our core group. Like, minor characters, go for it. But not yeah. the core group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, speaking of the latest news to come out of Chicago, this was a late breaker on Wednesday night. But go ahead, Brennan. Deadline is reporting that Chicago Fire suspended production. 
reduction for two weeks after positive COVID tests. Test um, yes. According to deadline, production shut down on November 8th. Um, several individuals on the production team believed to be in zone one produced positive results when tested as part of the show's COVID safety protocols. Since the affected individuals performed duties that required close proximity to other members of the cast and crew, production was paused for 14 days out of an abundance of caution by Wolf Entertainment and Universal TV. Not only that, but Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago, she has reissued a stay-at-home order. Um, so far, it does not apply to filming, but it, we'll see. Because it, it could very well apply to filming soon. This is just like the first round, really. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, 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 we'll just leave it at that. We'll leave it at that, yep, so, um, fingers crossed, I don't know, just, and fingers crossed that everybody stays safe, you guys, cases are surging, two of my friends have had positives this week. Yeah, just wear your mask, be smart. Mask, wash your hands, social distance, and guys, even though cases, like, I mean, even though people have, like, reopened and things, like, keep, take it easy. Yeah. Don't go too crazy. Yeah, just like 150,000 positive cases now. It's just wild. Yeah. So, <sighs> so that's about all the news we have. Um, yeah, provided deadline doesn't pull another like ridiculous dip, thing. Dip, dip, no, stop. but okay, here's what I will say about this. Deadline needs to work on their timing, okay? They, they dropped this news in the middle of Chicago Fire last night. Like, I see what you were doing, but we were all really busy. Like, next time, don't do that deadline. Yeah, I mean, I think they're like, oh, this is the perfect time. We might as well do it while everyone's talking about Chicago Fire. But yeah, it sucked. We're busy. We can't do that. We cannot drop everything and start tweeting about this. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, Taylor Kinney was also on the Today Show on Wednesday morning, and everybody kind of caught that he was in Pennsylvania. And so that explains that. I turned, okay, two things. One, I tried to watch that interview last night after the show, because I didn't see it until like last night. And I tried to watch it, and I literally turned it off within the first minute. As soon as they asked their first question, I because they don't know what they're talking about. And so they were like, yeah, Stellaride, is that a whatever? I don't even remember what the question asked, but it was so dumb. And I was just like, nope, I'm done. When, when you have to, you have to say, like, the roundabout way to explain what Stellaride is, I was like, oh, honey. She was like, yeah, people are saying that your character and the character named Stella Kid are called Stellaride. I'm like, oh. It's just, I, yeah, it's just like, it was just so bad. I was just like, no, no, yeah. no, no, and no. Taylor was, like, in his kitchen. It was, it was, it was weird. He's, I think he's very shy in real life, and so it, it was very, like, yeah, it, yeah, it was weird. But what I don't understand and maybe I'm wrong, but do they not have to, like, quarantine for 14 days? Like, why is he in Pennsylvania? And did he drive? I mean, I, I have questions. Like, how, why is he in Pennsylvania for this 14 days? I mean, he probably flew home. I'm, I'm guessing. But that's not. <laughs> no, I know. I know. So at, the, so at the end of his interview, they, they ran out of time first off. They had to cut Taylor off, like, mid-sentence because they ran out of time because he could just kept talking. Just, like, in the South, we say, bless your heart. Just bless his heart, you know? Bless your heart. Bless your heart, Taylor. Um, and I think he was about to put his niece into the frame or something. So there, there was, like, a, he, there was a little kid that he was about to put into the frame of the shot. And so I don't think he was positive. I really hope he's not if he grabbed a little kid and put No, him. I'm not saying that he's positive. But just because you're not positive, if you were, if they believe that the tests, the positive tests were coming from zone A, which is people directly involved with cast, 
doesn't mean Taylor still can't be carrying it and, you know, exposing other people to it. I don't understand why he went back to Lancaster, but whatever. I'm in my rant now. <laughs> Maybe he thinks he's Kelly and Kelly's a superhero and, like, doesn't. I don't know. I mean, and maybe it. they weren't told they had to quarantine, but like, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. Yeah, depending on he, uh, how he got back, I mean, may not have been a good decision, but. One again, they may not, again, if they don't have to quarantine, if they weren't say, hey, you have to stay at home at quarantine for 14 days, then, you know, but anyway. Jesse Spencer's just, neighbors are about to get another show of him cleaning the plants in his underwear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so watch out, Chicago. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I love it. So that's all the news we have. Um, hey, Brenna, did you know that we're on Patreon now? What? What? We got a Patreon, y'all. We're so excited. Jazz hands. I know. Yeah, we are so, so excited. We have three different tiers that you can choose from, and they range from access to the Meet Us Molly's Facebook group to up to, you know, bonus episodes and a discount code on our merch store. Um, yeah, definitely go go check it out if you'd like, and, and feel free to support us if you like. If you can't, if you don't want to, or would rather not, that's okay. That's okay. Um, nothing is going to change. Like this is not going to change the podcast at all. Like you're still going to get the same stuff from us. It's just that we've added some perks. Um, one of those perks is a patron shout out, and we've got not one, not two, but six. Party horn. I know, exciting stuff. So, so exciting. exciting. So our first patron shout out goes to Kate. Kate, thank you for supporting the podcast. We love you. Yes. Our second shout out actually goes to one of my very good friends, Josh. Josh, thank you. You're the best. Truly the best. Simply the best. Okay. Uh, Next shout out goes to Alexis. Alexis, thank you. Next one is to Casey. Casey, you're the best. Thank you for supporting us. Yes, yes, yes. And last up is Haley. Haley, thank you so much for supporting us. Haley and Casey especially are very active in our DMs, so we talk to them quite a bit. Thank you guys so much. There's actually two more. I don't know why they're not showing up. There's two more? Yeah, there's Holly and Hallie. Love it. Haley, Holly, and Hallie. I love it. I know. So many. So many. I love that. I love that. I love that. So you guys, thank you so much. And if you are interested in supporting the podcast, feel free to check out the link in any of our bios, really on any of our social medias. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, even though we don't really use it. I know. We always say that and we we really got to get on it. I know. I know. We do. So thank you guys so, so much. We really appreciate it. So with further ado, or without further ado, I can't form words. I'm like so excited to get into it. I'm just like, phrases. I know. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay. Starting with Chicago Med. We broke this down by storyline. Felt so good to do that again and just kind of dive into the new stuff. I know, but this outline is ridiculous. There is so much to talk about. It is ridiculously long. Buckle up, guys, because we've got a lot of feels. And so do you guys, which is good. That's exactly what we wanted, but we've got so much to cover. Okay, ready, ready, ready? Here we go. Okay, we open. There's an ambo, just like sirens blaring, speeding down the street, and Will is inside. Takes a second to realize, but Hannah's being rushed to med. I literally didn't realize it until you see the scene with Crockett and Crockett's like, oh yeah, I'm working on her. And I'm like, wait, what? It literally, it did not hit me at all. 
It took me a second because they show Will in the, in the ambulance and I was like, why is Will working with the paramedics? And then I was like, oh, that's Hannah. Yeah, I had no idea. It, it took me like a hot second. So that's the first thing that like hits you by surprise about two seconds in. The next one is when Will looks at Hannah and says, I love you. Whoa. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Where the fuck did that come from? What have you guys been up to since March? Yeah, seriously. Oh my goodness. Okay, so they get to med, you know, Hannah's wheeled in, and Will basically goes, he's trying to get to the ED, but he has to go by way of all the COVID protocols, so he gets tested, he, you know, stands under like a UV light and everything, and all I'm thinking this whole time is, my God, Nick looks so good. I love what that's what you were thinking. Not how intense it is, like any of that, but like that's what you were thinking. Okay, but let me just say this blanket statement now. Everybody in the new season across all three shows, there is some fabulous hair. Yes, we will get there because, my God, everyone with the long hair, mm, it all looks really good. Nick's hair is like, this season. it's like the perfect, perfect length. Like, it's perfect. Yeah. But I love that that's what you were thinking because I was sitting there thinking, like, is this normal level of protocols for a hospital in a major city? Because the couple times I went to the hospital, well, not for me, but like when I went to the hospital, I got my temperature taken and that was that. <laughs> I got mine taken. Yeah. I, I mean, but like I, I didn't have to go through the UV things. I didn't even have to. I mean, the fact that you got a COVID test within like 30 seconds. I mean, I don't know. It was just, impre- I didn't, I mean, is that normal? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so, so Will goes through the protocols. His hair is looking perfectly wonderful. He's just looking really good this season. What? Um, <laughs> And once he gets into the ED, we find out that Hannah OD'd, at which point I think all of us are just like, oh, well, poor baby. Some things never change. Some things never change. I feel, I feel bad for him. I'm just like, not again. Because remember, this whole thing started with, um, what's her name? What's her name? The actress. Um, crap, the one Jessica from Justice. Shreya? No, no, the one from Justice that started this whole thing. Oh, Joelle Carter? Bingo. This whole arc started with Joelle Carter's character and how he couldn't save her. And yeah. now we're coming full circle and it's happening again. Yeah. So my heart just like sinks for him. I felt so bad. So we see Will talking to Dr. Charles and he's just telling him, he's like, we love each other. You know, we moved in together really quick, whatever. So these are some details that we're getting. Like they moved in together, which is like, bam. Uh, that just sounds like Pandora's box, just like waiting to open. That was just such a bad choice, Will. What? I mean, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, bad choice, but I also think they maybe didn't have one at the height of the pandemic, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I know. The whole time this is happening, I, I can't help but notice Will is so calm. Like, the will we've the will we know would usually be like freaking out, making like irrational decisions and stuff. This will, as he deals with Hannah being wheeled into the hospital and everything, he's very like cool under pressure. Did you notice that, Brenna? Yeah, which is why when like a few seasons or a few scenes later he breaks down, I'm like, oh, yep, there's Will. There it is. Yep. So he's just telling Will, he's like, yeah, I'm good, blah, 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 whatever. We love each other. We moved in together. Sure, it was crazy. And the whole time I'm just like, this poor baby is in denial. Oof. Yeah. Bad. So then Dr. Charles just is, he's like, well, you seem okay. I'm not here to confront you, buddy. I mean, these sessions are about one thing and one thing only, and that is 
lowering your stress levels at a time when practicing emergency medicine can, can be overwhelming, you know? And that's it. Was that okay? He was not, in fact, okay. <laughs> yeah. He was not. He was not. So Will has a patient. Her name is Anita. She fell and hurt her wrist. And she's very, like, happy-go-lucky. She's pretty, she's pretty calm about the fact that her wrist is, like, super swelled up. And Maggie notes that she seems a little high. So Will is just like, I'm sure it's nothing. Like, I'm sure it's no big deal. We'll just, we'll do an x-ray. Like, you know, we won't go off of that or anything. Her arm's not broken, but her blood alcohol content is 0.14. That's like double the legal limit. Almost. Yeah. Almost. That's crazy. And she swears up and down that she doesn't drink. And so um, the other interesting thing here is that, you know, obviously we're incorporating our elements of the pandemic in here. Her husband cannot come into the hospital with her. So the way that they're handling it is this is that Will comes in and Maggie basically just holds the iPad with the husband on Zoom or Skype or whatever they're doing. It's, yeah. It's, it's crazy. I couldn't imagine getting sick and being without anyone right now. That would be scary. Yeah. yeah. So we meet Tamina Sonny's character briefly. Um, and my cable crapped out at this point. It started that like loading thing. And I was like of all the freaking nights. And so I didn't get through the scene, but I think it was just simply an intro where she was like, hi, I'm this doctor. And Will was like, oh, hi, sorry. My girlfriend's in here. I'm a little preoccupied. Is that what it was? Yeah. She was supposed to meet Will in the cardiology lab and Will forgot, obviously, because Hannah OD'd and she's like, that's okay. And Will's like, yeah, right now I'm just kind of preoccupied. And she's like, oh, okay. That's like basically it. Um, Tamina is stunning. I think I've said that before, but she is stunning. Like, yeah. gorgeous. She's so, so pretty. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. We'll see where that goes. So, um, later on down the line, Hannah's awake, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out that that was their very first I love you. The I love you, Will said in the Ambo, was their first. Will, 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 Will. When are you going to learn? Denial is not just a river in Egypt. I <laughs> You've never heard that before? I've heard it, but I hate you. (laughs) God damn it. You love me. (laughs) Oh my God. But it's true though. Like he's so in denial. I mean, okay, but you gotta think, I mean, I'm trying to think about this from Will's point of view. It's like, I feel like he's throwing out the I love you as like a Hail Mary to like save the relationship. But is he though? Because he's the one who, I mean, we'll get to in a second that like, is the one that's like, yeah, I don't think I can really do this anymore. I, I feel like based on what he told Dr. Charles the second time around, like, I'm, I'm still trying to reconcile that. Let's get through that scene and then we can circle back. But um, this patient, Anita, she's an air traffic controller. And so, yeah, we find out that was their, Hannah, Hannah and Will's first I love you. We find out then that Anita is an air traffic controller and she's, Anita's like freaking out, right? Because Will's just like, you're drunk. Like, what are we doing? And she just keeps saying, she's like, no, I don't drink. Like, I don't fucking drink. And so she gets kind of combative and they have to sedate her and Will looks at Maggie and this is right after the Hannah scene and Will just goes, you were right. When am I going to learn? Which I also laughed really hard because we got a couple of mentions after that where people were like, um, Mita Samali's asked this exact question, (laughs) which I laughed really hard about. We also literally, we quite literally asked Nick this very question in January. Yeah. Yeah. The answer is never. 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 Even Nick knows that. Nick's like, no, never. He's never going to learn. No. Yeah. Never. So 
Will goes to Mr. Goodwin and he's like, listen, you need to know that I'm going to do this. I'm going to report her to the FAA. Like that's what's going on. And so Goodwin is like, okay, well, be careful. Just make sure there's no extenuating circumstance because the minute you report her to the FAA, her job is done. And so Will's just like, mm, okay, whatever. So he goes back to Dr. Charles. And this is where it gets interesting for me. So Will comes clean. And like this Will from this point on in the episode, this is like the most adult version of Will I've ever seen. It really is though. It's like, where has this Will been all my life? Really? But actually though, I know he, he comes back to Dr. Charles. He's not like freaking out. He's not like having any like outbursts. Not that he has outbursts, but you know what I mean? Um, you know, he's, he's very calm and cool and just like level-headed about it. And he's like, I didn't tell you the truth. Here's the deal. And so he talks about how, you know, the whole time in quarantine, he's been worried that she's going to overdose. And so he's been walking on eggshells and, you know, she got mad because she thought that he didn't trust her. And really he was like, I blame her for being an addict. The part that gets me a little bit is that he's like, he says something where, you know, Dr. Charles is like, that's really hard. Like, I'm really sorry. And Will just goes, that's not the worst of it. I think I was kind of waiting for it to happen. As in, you've been waiting for it to happen so you could break up with her? I think so. I wasn't completely sure what Will meant by that. I think so, because I think, which is why the I love you confuses me, right? Because do you act, I think, I think two things are true. I think one, he realized that he isn't her person and, but obviously she's in a fragile state. And so he didn't want to break up with her because then he was afraid she'd OD and die Mm -hmm. but I also think I mean I don't know if I really like this as a fan but I think part of him probably does love her and obviously cares about her that's why he stuck around for so long and put up with this shit you know not that I don't want to call someone's baggage shit but you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um but I he put up with it for so long and you know I think he does because he does love her uh, which I don't like saying because but anyway um, but I, so I think, I think it's true, but I think, like, I also think he has been waiting for it because then he, you know, can be free. So was the, I love you more of like a stay with me, like, hang on, fight through it. I didn't No, I don't even think that. I think it's like, a. I do love you. Maybe, yeah, actually maybe. Yeah. I think it's more of like a, don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, leave it to us to try to figure out what's going on in Will Halstead's brain. Like, that's never, I, I, you know. I don't even think Will Halstead knows what's going on in Will Halstead's brain. Will never knows. I think the only person who knows is maybe Nick. And Nick is just trying to, like, make sense of it. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah, I th- he says, I think I've been waiting for it to happen. So that happens. And already we're just like, damn, Will, that's so mature. The next scene, he goes to Maggie and he says, like, verbatim, he's like, this case just became too personal to me. I need to go do more research. Just take those first couple of This case has become too personal to me. Who are you and what have you done with Will Halstead? I know. It, I was like, wait, what? Did Will actually just say that? What? So there, I, I always say that in, in season four of PD, when Will says, like, this girl doesn't want to be saved, I always say, like, this, that's the smartest thing Will Halstead has ever said. I think there is a new moment of the smartest thing that Will Halstead has ever said. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I can't believe that came out of his mouth. This case has become too personal to me. Like, damn, our little Will has grown up. 
Yeah. We'll if see he's going to go back to being a brat next week, then I don't know about that. But I know. I know. So. Anyway. He does more research and uh, the patient has what's called auto brewery syndrome, which I, I can't help but laugh because I watch so much TV that I called this when she came in and she was like, they were like, oh, she's drunk. I was like, oh no, she has that condition where like her gut turns alcohol or she, it turns carbs into alcohol and like blah, blah, blah. Um, I didn't get to see who wrote this episode, but I was wondering if it was Jeff because I watched Royal Pains when he wrote for it and there was a case just like that. Um, I, and I'm not the only one who called it actually. We have another listener named Beth who called it. Yeah, I know. I saw that too, that Beth called it too. I was like, wow. No I figured it actually wasn't going to be her being drunk. Like, I figured it was something in her body making her do that, but I didn't know that there was auto breweries, and I didn't know that was a thing. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Yeah. Yeah. We should get you to watch an episode of Royal Pains. That would be good. Who knows? I'll add it to the list of things. I loved that show. I know. Yeah. I'm not saying I won't ever watch it, but, you know, add it to the long, never-ending list. So we get to the end of the episode, and Hannah is all better you know, thankfully. Well, Ish. she's alive. She's, she's alive. alive. That's what I mean by all better. Also, I'm glad, I think part of the reason Will was so calm, and he probably will never admit this, is that Crockett was her doctor. Yeah. He even, well, he even says, he's like, I'm glad you're the one taking care of her. Yeah. Yeah. Crockett's got a way of kind of, he's very assuring. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that, like, that very first scene when Will, when Crockett comes out and he's like, listen, I had to intubate her. And then he stopped and he was like, well, she's going to get through this. Like, she's going to be okay. Um, yeah, I, I believe that. I was like, Crockett's got this. Like, Crockett's got this. And so I think that's half the reason, not half, but that's some of the reason why he was so calm. Yeah. But um, Hannah's leaving Chicago. Yeah. She was like, once I get out of rehab, like, I'm leaving. Maybe going to L.A. Because L.A. is a great place for a recovering addict to go i mean yeah we'll just leave it at that yeah so she pulls a full roman on will and she's like or a full roman a full gabby maybe and she's like i want you to come with me and instead of you know i'm a chicago guy will just flat out says i'm not coming with you like he puts his foot down yeah which again who is this will I know. Well, and then even, like, it's even better when she, he says to her, he's like, I love you, but I can't be the reason you stay sober. And it's like, who are you? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Will did some growing up over quarantine. I guess so. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and she, I think, she even said, she's like, she, she said that the reason that she's been with him so long or something along the lines, because she was afraid that without him, she would use and that's when he comes out with that line and he's like I can't be the reason you stay sober yeah I will say though I am glad I was kind of afraid that this was gonna drag out for a while like the hand and will I am kind of glad they got it like they put a bow on it in episode one and it's just like done I'm kind of bummed Hannah's leaving like right off the bat what I liked her no Florida. no 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 I'm glad they put a bow on it hmm I'm, I, should we do like a power rankings of all of Will's love interests and like see where Hannah falls? What are the options? Natalie, Hannah. Nina. Oh, yeah. Didn't he have a love interest in season one? The farmer rep. 
Oh, yeah. And I guess you could technically count the time he flirted in the backdoor pilot, too, with that doctor that never actually made it on a med. Laurie Holden's character, yeah. He made out with, uh, what's her name? The Is she, not the OB, is she Peds? I can't, um, the one he made out with last season and Nat got mad. Oh, yeah, I do kind of vaguely remember that. I don't know. Nat, well, Nina's pretty up there. I think maybe we could rank Nina number one. That's a strong take. That's Patty. I love Nat. I love Nina. I mean, yeah, I do too, but I'm saying that's a strong take. Okay, in the grand scheme of things, I would put Hannah somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I think Hannah's third. Only because of the amount of time we spent with her. Behind Nat and Nina? Yeah. So we did have some listener opinions here. Um, Catherine said, I'm happy they broke up because all the circumstances around their getting together were weird and needless. And so I believe it's for the best. Besides, no one deserves to be the permanent lifesaver of someone and no one should live loving another person more than their own. Uh, That's deep, but yes, very, very true. Um, She says, I also think the friendship between Dr. Charles and Will is something beautiful, like really something I'm up for. Yes. Is it still beautiful if Will does not admit, like, you were right? I don't, do you need to admit to your therapist that you're right? It's, it's more than that, though. It's not just a therapist-patient, like, relationship. It's colleagues. Right, but do you still need to, for someone to have helped you and, like, for you to have acknowledged that they helped you, do you have to say you were right? Or can you just say thank you? Like, do you have to say, like, yeah, you were right? Touche. Very true. So, yeah. This is why Bryna is the adult out of the two of us. <laughs> I'm really not, but you okay. really are, though. You really are. Uh, yeah. yeah. Heather said, "Will learning to act before he learning to think before he acts, not just being impulsive, as is the Halstead family trait. Good to realize that it is time for Hannah to go." Yeah. Yeah. Samantha said, "As a Manstead shipper, I'm glad that Will and Hannah are done, but I also really felt for Will. He wants to see the best in people, and I love him for that. But sometimes what you see is really what you get. I think Will summed it up best when he said, I love you, but I can't be the reason you stay sober. And that's literally, the, I mean, she summed up Will perfectly, is that he wants to see the best in people, and that's why we end up wanting to love him more than we want to punch him in the face. Yeah, although we equally sometimes want to punch him in the face, but yes. I have never felt so much for Will. I've never, like, felt empathy for Will as much as I have in this episode. I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, it was just like you – because I think Will really embodies what a lot of people go through, whether, it, whether it's about drug addiction or alcohol addiction or even just any kind of toxic relationship. Like, sometimes you love people so much, but, you know, you can't be there for them. Like, I'm thinking back now on Stella and Grant is like another yeah. one Chicago example is the same thing. Like Stella obviously loved him, but she couldn't be the reason he kept getting clean and kept, you know, trying to turn his life around. Like she couldn't be that reason anymore. I'm so impressed that, you know, it, it took Stella a couple of times before she came to that realization. And it seems like with this, it only took Will one time to like come to that realization and be like, we can't do this. But also the Stella and Grant relationship is a little different too, because Stella and Grant were married and theoretically it had a much longer relationship than Hannah and Will did. So, right. Right. But yes, I agree. I do agree. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's Will. Um, We'll see where he goes from here with Tamina Sunny's character. 
Yeah. So moving over to April and Ethan, this was so good. Oh man, it hit my emotions. So good. Um, so April and Ethan are working in the special COVID unit. Now, remember in um, 601, 501, a fire when Casey told Gabby, like, this is the role you were born to do. Mm-hmm. This is what April was born to do. Like, oh, working yeah. in the COVID ICU is, it is something that, it's just so April. When Lana even says, like, she feels like this is her mission. Of course she does. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. So, um, also... While we're talking about hair in the new season. Lannick's hair! Lannick has long hair, and oh my god, it is oh so god. good. Nate is killing it with the long hair. Killing it. I think Nate's hair is the best out of all of them. On Ed? Yeah, no, on it. Like, Jesse's too. I mean, like, I think Nate, like... It's pretty freaking great. It's like, great. Nate... Well, no, I think Patty's number one, and then Nate's number two, for sure. All right, all right, I'll give you that. Yeah, Patty's hair is longer, too. I, I don't know whose idea it was to be like, everybody grow your hair, but it's so good. Yeah, but no, Lanik's hair is like, mwah. He took off his scrub cap in that first scene, and I was like, oh, damn. Oh, damn. Like, I, I know. It's so good. I see you in front of the pod, Nate Santana. I see you. I, it's so good. It's so good. We got to get Nate back on this podcast, like, ASAP. Side note, he's not on Instagram anymore. I know. I went looking for it the other day. And I didn't see it. But I was, I was like, like, fuck. Shit. <laughs> but yes, we want Nate to come back on the podcast. We do. We do. So April has basically worked three straight weeks in the COVID ICU. And that's when Lanik is like, she feels like this is her mission. Which, I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. I laughed mm-hmm. a little bit when Lanik was like, what do you care? You guys broke up. Like, her- <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. So Ethan and April, they have this patient, Mr. McNeil, and they have the tough conversation where they tell him, they're like, we have to put you on a ventilator. Yep. Like, this is where we're at. You know, you're like, he's like, I don't even feel that bad, but he's headed in such a direction that, you know, if they had to try and bring him back in any way, shape or form, they couldn't because that's, that's where we are at in the pandemic right now is that, you know, it just, there's too many things that put too many people at risk crazy so later on ethan nags april about working three weeks in a row which like of course he does you know they're never gonna change yeah i mean like i get it he's worried obviously working three weeks when you're supposed to work one week on one week off Mm -hmm. i get it like i get why he's worried but yes the way that ethan goes about it is like come on nothing never really is going to change and and it baffles me and it also is like not not a red flag but it bothers me a little bit that ethan claims to love her so much and yet he can't seem to accept the way she is in the hospital right but i again i'm not saying that i'm like i don't want to like shit on ethan because i get it like you are worried like this is a big deal and like when you're exposing yourself that much when the protocol is one on one off and you've gone three weeks straight on like i get it like i I get where Ethan's worry is coming from. I think he could have brought it up to her in a better way. And that is why Ethan and April will always be toxic to me. Yeah. Yeah. And April's not having it either. No, thank God. Ethan's like, you've worked three weeks in a row. And April's like, can you fucking not? And she just basically says, she's like, these people are dying. They are sick. They are alone. I'm not abandoning them. I mean, it's the most April sentence to have ever been spoken in med history. But also, like, good for you, girlfriend. 
Ethan's not yeah. your boyfriend, fiance, whatever anymore. Like, he doesn't have a say. He's not her boss. Lanik is in charge of the ICU or the COVID ICU. So if Lanik says it's okay, then it's fucking okay. And I mean, this year, this year has changed all of us, right? We've all learned things about ourselves we didn't know before. And I feel like April has, April has always, always known this about herself is that, you know, she's very, this is how she is. She's always very hands-on with her patients. She's very involved. I just don't, I, I, I don't see, I don't know why Ethan doesn't see it yet or Ethan hasn't embraced it yet. I think he's more worried about her being exposed too much to COVID, but like your work, I don't know, you're working in a hospital. Like, what do you expect? Right, right. And so this patient, I mean, he's married, but she's not allowed in the ICU. So, you know, this guy is, this guy literally is dying alone. I mean, yeah. So Ethan explains to the patient's wife via iPad that they have to put him on ECMO. And so, you know, he's explaining, he's like, yeah, this is like a life support measure. You know, he basically says without saying like he's headed towards dying. That's basically what's happening. And Ethan's, Ethan's very Ethan about it, right? Like he's, he's always been cut and dry. He's just, he's, he's not, he's not an emotional person. No. And so he explains it, he gets it done, whatever. But Lana cancels it. Yeah. With his like crazy long, awesome hair. Um. Yeah, and so it turns out there's only one free ECMO machine, and Mr. McNeil is likely not going to make it. They have another patient who has a better chance of surviving. And so Ethan and April, like, they both kind of gang up on Lanik. They're like, what the fuck? And Lanik just goes full Lanik. Lanik's like, you want to make me the bad guy? Then get in line. Yeah. Yeah. Lanik is just, he's so not Nate. Nate is so nice and, like, talkative and fun. And But I, just, I didn't think Lanik was, like, out of line here. Like, I get it. Obviously, April and Ethan have become attached to Mr. McNeil, and you want to obviously try to save everyone. But, like, I also, went, I wasn't saying, like, I thought Lanik made just a lot of sense. And, like, Lanik's in charge, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I understand why he can kind of come off as a bad guy, and sometimes he's a total asshole. But, like, in this moment, I just, you know. It's clear that, to me, that Lanik is also taking this really hard, and, you know, it was just, you know, like, that was so clear to me, and I was, I don't know, I didn't think that he was being a bad guy, that he was just doing, sometimes you have to make the right, the hard choices. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, you, yeah, and you can tell, like you said, you can tell this is a decision he's had to make a couple of times, and it's not easy. He hates it, so that's why he's just like, if you want to shit on me, go ahead, I don't really care, like, I'm doing my job, so, um, April meets the wife outside, which is just, this is April going the extra mile. And so, you know, she has to tell her, she's like, you know, you can't be there when he dies. I'm sorry. It's too big of a risk. Like, you know, but he will not die alone. She said, I will be there. I promise you. Which like, we should all be so lucky to have a nurse like April in these circumstances. This whole thing killed me. Like this, I was like full on really sobbing at this point. I mean, it made me think a lot about you know, earlier this year when I lost my mom mm-hmm. and like the fact that my, you know, my mom had to go in the hospital, but we were lucky enough that my dad had worked at that hospital, you know, for over basically 40 years. And my dad pulled strings and that we were able to go see my mom. Like, and we know how lucky we are that we got to spend that time with her while she was there, you know, cause otherwise I wouldn't have seen her at all. I didn't get home in time for her before she went to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so like, it just, you know, like it made me realize how lucky I am but like, God, if I had to do this, I mean, obviously I'm very still much, you know, still very much grieving my mom, but like, I would feel very differently about everything if I had not had that time with her. Yeah. So I can't even imagine. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, I'd be beside myself. It, yeah. Yeah. It would. Yeah. I mean, I was already an emotional wreck and I still got to go see my mom, you know, like I can't even imagine if I, you know, if the last interaction had been like, you know, my dad being on the phone, like the night my mom went to the hospital when I was still in DC and trying to come home. Like if that had been my last like interaction with her, because she was on a BiPAP. So like, she couldn't really talk. Like I mean, she was basically on a ventilator um, for the last little bit. And so like, if I hadn't gotten to have that interaction with my mom, like in person, like those last things, like, I don't know, everything would have been very differently. I would felt very differently about everything. Mm-hmm. And so like, I can't even imagine what this is like. And, and it's, it just, yeah, it's, it's so, it's just, it's heartbreaking when you think about the fact yeah. that 240,000 people have gone through this this year. Yeah. It, like said, it, I mean, it really made me, it really made me emotional. Like it really made me feel grateful. I mean, as sucky, as terrible as that situation was, and like, obviously I wish my mom was still here, but like, it made me really feel grateful for that last little bit that I got to spend with her. Like, and that my dad was able to pull those strings. I can't imagine. Like I, I truly cannot imagine. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. And so I, the gravity, the gravity of this moment needs to really be recognized because I mean, yeah, April's talking to the wife and everything and she's really going the extra mile. I mean, I don't know if any of this, I don't know how real this is where, you know, the nurses will talk to the spouses outside. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I feel like some probably do. I mean, outside, I don't know, but like, I know when my mom was in the hospital, it was, you know, we talked, I mean, it was obviously a different nurse all the time just because of shifts and stuff, Mm -hmm. but like the nurses were really great about keeping us updated and things like that. But um, yeah, I don't know about going outside and like going through that much of it. No, I don't know. But, but like, I mean, I'm, if I'm not, not necessarily if I'm the wife, but I was, I was partially relieved for the wife that she had April on this case because April was definitely going to take care of all aspects, not just the medical aspect, but the human aspect. April was going to pay attention to that where Ethan was not. No. Right. And that's not to knock on Ethan. It's just, that's, it's just different. It's just different styles. Yeah. 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 And so, um, Ethan's, you know, the, the wife hands April a photo strip of their first date. And so I just, I just still can't get over April assuring the wife, like he is not going to die alone. I will be there. I promise. Like that is just the humanity of that moment. And just how like heartfelt it just, if I'm the wife and I have, if I have April on that side, like I, I get a little bit more peace than I would have otherwise. Yeah. I, I mean, that whole scene had me in tears. Yeah. Whole scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, April is just like, I'm not leaving this guy, Ethan, like deal with it. And so they have this, this guy's last moment. And I mean, Mr. McNeil has like plastic over him. Like, it's just, it's, 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 it's sobering and it's, it's horrible. And I just, like, you just, yeah, it, it evokes a lot of emotions. I mean, um, April pulls up the wife on the iPad and this goodbye, like, got me. Here, yeah, I was literally in tears. And so the wife's on the iPad and April's just like, it's time. And she just tells him, she's just like, you're the best. Like, I will see you one day. Uh, you know, I, I will see you again soon. And just, I mean, to, I just imagining being married to someone for 40 years and having this epic love story. And then that's how it ends through an iPad. 
Yeah. Like I said, I can't even imagine like if I had had to tell my mom goodbye like that and which very well could have been the case but like if I had to tell my mom goodbye like that like I would have been an emotional wreck more so than I already was yeah yeah and I mean I've been seeing a lot of stuff online where people are just like I can't do med this season like I just want to escape but this is reality this is what our healthcare workers are dealing with this is what people are dealing with yeah, and I think, I don't know, I was talking to my coworker who watches these shows too, and she was saying the same thing, and I was like, yeah, but I don't think every episode's going to be like this either. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's going to be, like, full COVID for the next 15 episodes, but, like, yeah, this is what they're going through. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, what else do you want any medical show talk about this season? And I get how, I mean, we always talk about how we wish the couples wouldn't work together, but in this situation, Ethan and April are the two perfect characters for the COVID ICU. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, yeah. I guess. So so the husband dies, and like you think that's that, but it's not. The last scene is. Ugh. I know. It it was it was surprising. Yeah, but I didn't like, think that, I didn't I didn't see it coming. But yeah, it, I didn't like, either. Killed me. And I I mean I want I'm I'm wondering if this is happening in hospitals across the country. It probably is. Probably. Um, but all or some version of it. I don't know if it's like a true memorial, but like I'm sure they're doing something. Yeah, yeah. And so they go up to the roof, which is really just a soundstage with a green screen. Um, mm-hmm. I'm getting to that point now where I can tell when things are green screen. It's really yeah. Like, I know the Natalie and Crockett scene too on the roof was totally green screen. Too. Total green screen. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm at the point now in the Hallmark Christmas movies where I'm like sniffing it out. I'm like green screen, green screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was fake. Um, yeah, just the pitfalls of watching so much TV. But yeah, they, they go up to the roof and they have this moment. They all pull up candles on their phones and they read off the names of everybody they've lost that day. Like, it breaks my heart. Literally. And seeing them all almost cry, it was just, I, yeah, I couldn't. I was, again, I was like sobbing. And they, they're, and it's not even something where they just read the name and age and leave it at that. They, they, they're, they're like, this is their name. This is their age. And here's a little bit about them. Yeah, that we learned from just being with them. I was like, oh my, I can't, I can't. So, I mean, our, our healthcare workers, our, our first responders, they are out there doing their best to, you know, yeah. help people. And, you know, if they are going to die, they're die with dignity. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's, it, that ending was really heavy. And I mean, that's when you see, the, that's when you can tell that like, Lanik's whole like, I'm an asshole exterior is, is, Well, and that's when, like, I mean, you could already kind of tell in the season before where he was, like, you could tell he was taking it hard, but this scene, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. With his long, swooping, Prince Charming hair, just like, whoosh. Yeah, it's amazing. I know. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, we got a message from Samantha, and Samantha said, it's no surprise that April has been working in the COVID ICU for three weeks. She always puts her patients first, no matter the risk. The world needs more people like April. I loved seeing how worried Ethan was about her, and I hope this is the start of those two getting back together. Uh, no, to the very last part, but yes, I agree with everything else. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. I need to just, like, shine in her singleness and be like, hey, Ethan, this is how amazing I am. See what you're missing out on? (laughs) That's what I need. Yeah. Yeah, and so Ethan can just be like, damn, I'm so impressed. April's amazing. I'm horrible for never realizing this. And then we can all just there go, yeah, you are. 
I have another whole tangent I could go on, but I'm not going there. Do the thing, Brenna. We've I mean, yes. this for seven months. Just let that it is out. Correct. That is correct. Yes. Ethan did always, you know, kind of took advantage of April. But April was also in the wrong in their, the demise of their relationship, but we don't need to go into that whole thing either. I know. I know. No. I'm but just again, saying. This just goes back into the whole thing about 2020 has changed all of us. Literally every single one of us. And maybe it has changed April too. It changed Will. It turned him into an adult. Yeah. For yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love uh, that we just said that together. Yeah. Samantha also said that the memorial scene had her in tears too. It was such a powerful scene and so well done. Showing the staff having a memorial service for the patients they lose to COVID really hit hard and shed a light on the reality of the pandemic. Yeah. I agree. For sure. For sure. So. Moving on to Natalie and Crockett. Natalie and Crockett. Again, just keeping on with the good hair. Crockett's hair has gone in the opposite direction. Everybody has long hair. Crockett has short hair. And it is awesome. It looks good, too. It looks so good. Just so much good hair. Bryna, take it away. Yeah, so Natalie actually has checked into a hotel so that she can keep her family safe and not give them COVID. Um, and she runs into Crockett, who is like, oh, yeah, you're living at Club Med, which I love because they actually call it, they call the med set Club Med, which I love. Because <laughs> they get um, to chill inside while it's, like, negative five out. Yeah, I love that they call it that. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So Natalie ends up getting a patient who has leukemia. They was in remission for a while, but now it's back. And she's showing signs of heart failure, so that's not good. Nope. But, so Natalie needs a surgical consult, and Maggie, so she tells Maggie this, and Maggie's like, cool, I'll call Crockett, and Natalie's like, actually, don't call Crockett, and Maggie's like, why? And Crockett, of course, is, like, two steps behind her, and he's (laughs) like, oh, did I hear my name? What is happening? (laughs) Um, And so, of course, you know, Natalie's like, you know, whatever. Yeah, way to be smooth, Nat. Yeah, and then Crockett, though, ends up calling her out on her BS, which I kind of loved, and he's like, what you just did, that's why I don't tell people about my past. Yeah, he's defensive in that moment, and I I see it. I mean, I I get it. I totally get it, but it just, it makes me laugh how he just, like, like clockwork, he just turned around, he's like, excuse me, why not call Crockett? Yeah, and, like, even one of our listeners, Debbie, had, like, tweeted us about it and said, you know, she has to agree with Crockett because, like, Natalie was trying to be considerate for what, you know, which we'll get to in a second because it has to do with his daughter's leukemia situation, but it should have been Dr. Crockett's call on if he could handle being around another leukemia patient or not. Did you make this connection instantly when she was like, don't call Crockett? Did you realize, like, oh, it's because of the daughter? It took me a hot second, and I hate saying that. I feel like a bad med fan for that, but, like, it took me a second. Well, it took me a second, too, and the only reason why is because when she was like, don't call Crockett, I took it as, like, because we've been so flirty. Yes! That's what I took it as! Okay, okay, good. Well, and it was so funny, too, because I was watching... Okay, so I watched the premieres with my brother. Well, kind of. He, like, half-watched sometimes and he like as soon as natalie the first time when natalie and crockett bump into each other he was like "Ooh, hashtag flirt and i was like because <laughs> he's like he's spoken hashtags last night because i was tweeting and whatever and so he was like "Ooh, hashtag flirt and so i was like all into the, like the crockett natalie flirt thing because that's what he was talking about <laughs> and i was like so yeah i didn't even think about it but then once i realized it i was like oh shit I just felt like such a bad Marcel stan in that moment. 
Okay, well, depending on where Natalie and Crockett go this season, we're going to need a sticker of them together that just says hashtag flirt. Yes! <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, so no, I didn't, I, it took me a second to realize that that's what it was. Yeah, when, when he called her on it and he was like, why? Because of my little girl, I was like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Again, <laughs> I feel like such a bad Marcel stan. Sorry, Crockett. Sorry. Yeah. But anyway. So Crockett does end up doing the consult, though. And, of course, though, Natalie and Crockett have two very different recommendations. <laughs> because, of course, they do. That felt a little good, though. When they disagreed, I was like, ah, it's Ned again. <laughs> Some things never change. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Natalie's like, I think we could just get by with Ned's. And Crockett's like, no, we need to put in an LVAD. And every time I hear an LVAD, I'm like, oh, Denny Duquette on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, yeah, just... All of a sudden, like, Snow Patrol's playing. Yeah. And, like, is, yeah, just... Is he in the pink dress? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no. And so the dad of the little girl, he's been going through a lot. Like, he doesn't have his wife there. His daughter obviously is not in remission anymore with her leukemia. They got called terrible names in the parking lot because people... Because they're Asian. And the fact that people think that they brought COVID into this country. It's just, like, a whole... They're going through a lot. So the dad opts to play it safe and go with Natalie's recommendation for the meds. But then, of course, she's still not that great, and they still have to go with the LVAD surgery anyway. And so the surgery goes well, though, and the patient's fine. But Natalie and Crockett have this moment up on the roof, and Natalie explains to Crockett that, like, her concern for Owen got in the way of her decisions. That's, um, not, a, that's not a pandemic thing, Natalie. That, that's, that's an everyday thing. Yeah. Yeah. But Crockett admits, too, that, like, Natalie was also right about him and the cases of kids with leukemia and that he thinks about his daughter a lot. And he even tells Natalie that, like, Natalie's doing the right thing by being concerned for Owen and it's, you know, they have a little bonding moment over their kids. And this is the first time that we see Crockett, like, show emotion. Like, sincere emotion. Yeah. Yeah, like, when he almost, like, when he was, like, almost crying, I was like, what? I'm ready for more Crockett this season. I'm ready. I want the Crockett breakdown. I yeah. I I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. I want his I want his wife or ex wife whatever to show up. I'm like ready. I'm so ready. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it ends. This whole storyline ends with Natalie having a little uh, Facetime call with Owen, who is now so grown up. Oh my gosh. Owen's like a full adult. What the hell? I know. I was like, wait, what? Where did our little, like, tiny baby go? We saw, Nat we, I mean, Owen was in Natalie's stomach when the series started, and now he's, like, speaking full sentences, and I'm like, what? Yeah, so, I mean, if it's season six, he's five now, right? So, I mean, he's, like, a super yeah. intelligent kindergartner, apparently. He's like Jamie Scott. He's like, oh, there we go. First one you hill reference of the night. Boom. Um, uh, oh, there will be more to come. There will be way more to come. But... Yeah, he, he's, like, super grown up now. I was really surprised by that. And she was like, so you know I'm not coming home, right? And Owen's like, yeah, I understand you're helping people. I was like, who is this? Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. Crazy. Um, also, wherever Natalie's staying, are they apartments, hotels, whatever? It looks super swanky. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? What? Okay, Natalie. I yeah. see you. And it took me a second when she checked into the hotel in the first scene. I was like, Yeah, I didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. And then I realized, and now that and now that I rewatched it, I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, Is she at a seminar or something? And then I was like, Oh, she's staying in a hotel. Dodgina. Yeah, it took me a second. March was like five years ago, so whatever. Yeah. 
Um, but we had some listener thoughts on this too. Samantha said like that she also is glad that we're finally starting to get more Marcel. He seems to have this heartbreaking backstory and I can't wait to learn more. Uh, yes, please. Same. Same. So, good stuff. And then there's also the last little bit of Dr. Charles. Who is the one recovering from COVID? Did not see that coming. No. Also, while we're talking about this, I mean, I know a lot of us thought it was going to be Maggie. That seems a little too obvious. But can we... Nobody mentioned Maggie at all. The fact that she's working in a hospital, given her abuse. Like, nobody mentioned that. Ever. No. Nobody said a word. Like, huh? I mean... Once you're in remission, you're are, are you still immunocompromised only for a certain period? Probably, but like the fact that nobody even brought it up, I don't know. I I, I mean, I don't know. Like was they were it, the board's concerned about Goodwin's diabetes, but not Maggie, who had freaking cancer at the beginning of last season, and you know is working directly with patients. I don't understand. Extremely, extremely good point. Yeah, very good point. Was the was the lack of masks in the ED was that surprising to you? It was a little surprising, but only – it was a little surprising until I saw Wolf Entertainment's tweets about the fact that basically you have to go through so many protocols that, like, once you make it into the ED, like, you've got, you realize that you're negative COVID test. But, yes, it was a little surprising. Because I would think even if I got that negative test, I would still want to wear one just to be careful. Yeah. But then I also realized – my guess is it has, so has to probably do with the fact that it's a television show. Yeah. Uh, they can't have people behind masks 24-7. True. So, like, I think it probably really has more to do with the fact that, like, it's a television show and they just came up with that little thing to be like, yeah, this is why this is, can happen. Yeah, I, I, I was pretty forgiving up to a certain point. And then with, with Fire and PD, I was like, come on now, you know. But, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think it. it's just more that it's a TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, But anyway. So Dr. Charles, like we said, is the one recovering from COVID. He's just going back to the hospital, and he has a little Zoom meeting with Goodwin, who is a force complaining about Zoom, and it's, like, the best. Too real. Um, but the thing that I loved is that Apatha filmed the whole scene from her apartment herself, like, did her own makeup, her own lighting, um, her own camera work, which I thought was so cool. But then I was thinking about it, why? I think Apatha has diabetes in real life. But, like, so is she not going to be on the show except for Zoom scenes at all? Maybe later on she'll be, you know. I was just curious. Like, I was like, oh, that's really cool. But then I was like, but why? I don't know. I, you know, I was just like, because they could have filmed a fake version of that on the set if they had really wanted to. So, like, why was she filming that from her Chicago apartment? Right? You know, I just didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool. Or... And this is just speculation. What if she was one of the positives in the first round? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And so Anna, of course, is staying with Dr. Charles. And she still has a little bit of an attitude brat. But we learn out that it's not really her being an attitude brat as much as she feels guilty because she apparently gave Dr. Charles COVID because she hung out with a friend who didn't know she had had it mm-hmm. um so yeah. yeah and then you know they have the whole heart to heart and it's just it's it really is nice to see dr charles have like an actual storyline that's not him just you know treating patients and yeah. you know like i really do like the storyline and yes anna's not maybe my favorite character but i do like the storyline for him it, i like that it giving him purpose outside of the hospital yeah 100 percent 
So um, we also just had some general med thoughts from listeners. Um, Hallie said, as a healthcare worker on the front lines in senior assisted living, uh, med was very, very real for what I encounter at work. The health screenings, the COVID testing, the visitor restrictions, and the stress and anxiety that comes with being potentially exposed. I have to say that I've always liked med, but because of COVID, I'm going to appreciate med a lot more this season. This was a fantastic premiere for them. It really was. Yeah. Um, also, Hallie, thank you for everything you're doing, too. Yes. Thank you, Hallie. We applaud you. Yes. Yes. So is it time to move into fire? Do we have any other notes on med? Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Fire. Fire, fire, fire. I mean, the first thing to talk about is Gianna. Gianna's here. I know. And she's amazing. I she's mean, I, amazing. I, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love her. Like, I do too. From the her literally the first words out of her mouth, I was like, yes. Yes. Yes to all of that. Yes. Yes. You are now family. Come on in. Yeah. Love yes. it. Love so it. the opening scene is Cruz running to work and they're like interspersing these scenes from last season with Cruz running. I like that they're trying to make it some like I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny though. Like I thought that was cool though. I like kind of how they did that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And so um, Cruz is running in, and he, like, stops in the apron because Cap wants to take his temperature, which, like, okay, he's been running for two blocks, and his temperature is good? Yeah, I don't know. You guys, this this happened to me a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah, my boyfriend and I went on a road trip, and we were driving from North Carolina to Tennessee, and the drive from North Carolina to Tennessee, we had the heat on the whole time because we had been hiking, and it was, like, 50 degrees. So we had the heat on the entire time. We get to this hotel in Tennessee and they're like, okay, well, we need to take your temperature. Well, they take my temperature. I clock in at a hundred. So like panic ensues. Cause I'm just like, holy shit. I yeah. got the vid. Like, I don't know what happened. I was you were freaking out in the group text. You were like, oh my God, it I don't know bad. what to do. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was not good. Well, yeah. Cause I was like, oh my God, like I must've been sloppy in some moment and I, I have COVID now. And then like, I was just with our friend Ashley and I've been with Charlie and I might've exposed them. And so like a couple minutes and a CVS thermometer later, it was a false alarm. So I'm just, I, I was a little baffled by the fact that Joe like runs up to the apron and it's like a-okay on his temperature. Also the fact that Cap is the one taking people's temperatures, just like amazing. Can we trust Cap? I don't know, but, like, I love anything Cap. Like, Cap, I'm just like, yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so, turns out Joe is running because it's Gianna's first day. And he doesn't want to be late, but he's late. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, Cruz, like, barrels through the door. He's like, am I late? (laughs) And it's, like, everyone sitting in Bowdoin's office. Like, god damn it. I love it. I love it. And the first thing out of Gianna's mouth, she goes, is Joe's tardiness going to affect my your perception of me? Because, like, I can deny ever knowing him. And I was just like, yes. You are in. Love it so much. You are in. So Gianna and Cruz grew up on the same block. And so Gianna is like a little bit younger than Leon. Um, but Joe's known her like his, their whole life. Also, somebody put this and I can't, I don't remember who it was. So I'm sorry if I'm stealing your idea. But somebody put it in like our tweets or something that like, I wonder if Gianna and Leon ever had a thing. Because like, in like the canon headcanon totally happened. I can't wait for the episode when we find out they went to prom together. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, it ha- something happened. Something happened at some point. You can't tell me it didn't happen. <laughs> so Gianna volunteers to make lunch for everyone. And like, are we calling this love at first sight? Like, what do we think this is? What, the Gianna and Gallo? I, I don't yeah. know. But like, it's oh, so good. 
all Gallo had to do was like make like a lingering glance. And I was just like, I'm in, I'm obsessed. I ship it. Yes. Yeah, I know, which is so funny because literally last week we're like, Gallo and Violet need to get back together. And like, obviously, if Gallo and Violet got back together, we'd still be very happy about that. But I'm also so in on this Gianna and Gallo thing. It's so cute. It's so cute. And like, she, the fact that it wasn't one-sided either, like, she was also like giving Gallo the look too. And it's just like, oh my God. What about their like the cutest little meet cute ever when they bump arms to say like, hi, I'm Blake. Hi, I'm oh Gianna. My, yes. So 2020 though, but yes. So 2020, but so cute. I love it. But Joe is not happy at all. He oh, is no. like, he is like, uh. No. Um, I got, I had a good laugh out of that. Like after they, after they elbow bump and everything and like they pan the camera over and Joe's just standing there and he's like, no. no. He's like, I've seen you Blake Gallo. Not this one. Not her. <laughs> <laughs> I got like, well, and then he's like, nope, no. Oh my goodness. I love it so much. And so later in the episode, Gianna goes to talk to Gallo and like she sits next to him and she's like, what's up, Gallo? And Gallo is just trying to be like, hi, Gianna. I don't see you. Like, hi, this is awkward. And I think Gianna just kind of like invites herself on their first date. Yeah, I love that she chose to, like, play a little fun at Cruz's expense, because Cruz is obviously watching this whole thing by, like, agreeing to go on a date with Gallo. She's like, oh, yes, we should go play whatever. Some, I don't even know what it was. But, like, and go out to dinner. I would love to. 8 p.m. tomorrow? Great. And I love it. I love her so much. She's 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 perfect, and she's going to fit right in. And yeah. I yeah, I love her so much. Um, I just, I've never been on board with the ship as fast as like, I, so maybe it's not love at first sight, it's ship at first sight. Yeah. And I, the thing that I love about her too, I love that she's going to be more in the millennial sphere with Ritter and Gallo. Like yeah. I cannot wait to see what antics they all get up to, regardless of whether Gian and Gallo become romantic. Like the fact that the three of them are going to be this like little millennial trio, I'm just like obsessed. They're going to be like the new, the new Berserk water. They're going to be their own version of, like, they're going to be Gianna's angels. I don't know if that works, but, like, they're going to be, like, their own version of Charlie's angels. It's going to be amazing. I'm, I'm so ready. I'm ready for all of it. Yeah. She, she's, yeah, she's, I, I'm, I'm on board. I'm, like, I love her already. I do so much. Um, Samantha sent us a little message, though, and she said, I got to be honest, I'm not sure how I feel about Gianna and Gallo. I just wish that both of them would find love outside the firehouse, especially if they've already seemed to be having two in-house romances brewing with Bretzi and Stellaride. I'm just not feeling the ship yet, but who knows? Maybe that'll change. I understand, but I, I mean, also, they, they, all, the only people they see, especially now in the pandemic, is each other. So yeah. I get it. Yeah. At some point, it does kind of feel like a little much. You're like everyone's falling in love with each other in the firehouse but like i don't care <laughs> yeah true true so um i think we're calling giada and gallo mallow i'm here for that i think that's the best thing we can come up with mallow mallow i'm here for it yeah but the hard eyes it's just so cute can't wait to ask adrian about this yeah we yeah just stay tuned you will hear our interview with adrian next week i can't wait to talk to her yeah so this can be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So next up we have Brett dot 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 C. Brett C. Um yeah, they just really hit the fast forward button on that one, didn't they? I can't wait. Let's go. Mm, so excited. <laughs> you want to talk about it? Go ahead. Let's do it. Okay. So Gianna and Brett go on their 
on Gia out on Gianna's first call. And of course they get out, held up at gunpoint. Because of course they do. She just got here. I know. I'm like, Derek, what you doing? <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, Brett, of course, is calm, cool, and collected throughout the whole thing because she's Brett. She's unfortunately been through this before. <laughs> with Mills and with Dawson. I know. Um, so they, she gets them out of there, she, them and their patient out of there. Um, and they turn back the firehouse and Brett's fine, but Casey's a little worried. And he's like, I recommend you call Burgess, which side note, when I was watching this again, cause I was watching with my brother who literally has never seen med or fire. He only knows the little bit of PD he has. He was like, he like was watching this and he was like, oh, they're totally going to call someone from BD. And I was like, yeah they said who it was. He's like, oh, who was it? And I was like, Burgess. And he was like, is that the black guy? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, no. Nice try, but no. Oh, Noah. Oh, Noah. Yeah. <laughs> can't wait till he comes on the podcast at some point. Oh, I can't wait for anyway, that either. Um, as it turns out, the guy who had them at gunpoint is, has a rap sheet that's like a mile, million miles long. Um, and so now, of course, he's going to go after Brett because his brother died and she couldn't save him. So they have to be out on the lookout for him. Mm-hmm. And Brian Bridges is just like, if you see him, call me. So Brett returns home from shift to find her door to her apartment wide open. A new so, apartment, by the way. A new, new apartment, which is actually really nice. Yeah, yeah, I actually really like it. But I like how Burgess is like, if you, if you find him or if you see anything, call me. And she interprets that as, call Casey? Okay, cool. Yeah. And at this point, we're all yelling at Brett. We're like, what are you doing? Don't go in there. Don't no, go in. Noah was like, what are you doing, stupid white girl? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Not very nice, Noah. <laughs> he was like, he doesn't know anything. He was like, why? What, what is the white girl doing? I was like, what are you doing? Um, but like, yeah, she, of course, calls Casey. And Casey's, like, freaking out. And they go in her apartment. Everything seems fine. And Brett's like, you can go home now. And Casey's like, no, I'm going to keep you company. And it ensues until, like, the cutest thing ever. Um, uh, Casey comes around that corner with big boyfriend energy. I'm just saying. I am, He really does, though. He really does. Also, more good hair. He's grown his hair a little bit. It's long. Yes. And it looks good. Yes. It looks so good. Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. I think it goes Patty, Nate, Jesse in the rankings of the long hair. Okay. But, I mean, Nick's in there, too, somewhere, but I think that's my personal ranking. I think I put Nick ahead of Jesse. Mm, I think I put Jesse ahead of Nick. But still, interchangeable. They're all interchangeable. <laughs> Whatever your preference is. One Chicago hair power ranking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they end up, of course, like, it's just, like, the cutest freaking scene. They play a game of heads up where you have to do different accents and Brett is, like, getting mad at Casey because he's, like, passed on the last accents. And he's like, but the last one was Yiddish. And I'm like, oh, my God. And she's like, yeah, but you passed up to Boston, too. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll do the next one, I promise. And then they, like, flip it up. And, of course, the next one's Australian. <laughs> and I love when Jesse tries to be Casey with his American accent but do an Australian accent. It's, like, the best running joke on fire. It is pretty good. I, I mean, I've always wanted, I've, I've always wanted that to be like Casey's party trick where like he gets drunk and then they're like, hey, Casey, do the thing. And he's got like a flawless Australian accent. But the thing is, this one is so bad. This one I think was his worst one yet. Yeah. Yeah. Worse bad. than the first time. But then Brett's like, oh my God, that was so good. And she obviously guesses it right away. She's like, it's Australian. I'm like, no, no, no way. That, no. that was terrible. Brett's was so much better. 
Um, but yeah, and so they have this talk or whatever, and then they Casey ends up saying he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna stay the night," and Brett's like, "What?" And she's like, "He's like, yeah, I want to be here." But like everything about this moment, just the looks, the laughs. I mean, I I love it so much. They finally make like simultaneous hard eyes at each other. I know. It's ridiculous and amazing, and I loved every single second of it. Yeah, yeah. And so it sounds like the next episode is going to be like the tipping point, which I hope so, because I'll be honest, like if this goes any further, I'm going to be like, this slow burn is taking way too long. Well, Derek said we'll find out in the first two episodes, but, yeah. and I'm hoping that it leaning towards good based on the way this first episode went. Like, I have a feeling that we'll get there in a second. Uh, but basically, so yeah, Brett and Gianna, at the very end of the episode, Brett and Gianna are on the way to another call. And they see the older brother all of a sudden surface from next to them. He was following them, waiting for them to go out on a call. And basically, he still has the gun pointed in his hand while he's trying to drive. And he basically pushes them over with his car and knocks the ammo off into a bridge. Full season three finale, One Tree Hill style. Full Rachel and Uncle Cooper. Like, just full on. All that was missing was the ammo. The music. And the music. Yeah, you were missing the music. That's really what you were missing. And I feel um, such a bad one, Tree Hill fan, because I cannot remember what song was playing. I don't either, but I just remember the music and it being like a full. Song. I just have the image of like the water and the Cracker Jack bracelet like floating through. Yeah, and I know. poor Haley on the bridge, like Nathan. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't even remember what I was going to say. Well, the Ambo knocked off the bridge and we went full One Tree Hill. No, it wasn't what I was going to say. It had something to do with Casey. Anyway, continue. Oh, I'm what I was gonna say was so basically now from the promo we see the next for next week, Casey like calls for 61 over the radio, and then like when 51 ends up finding them, Casey doesn't even wait for the truck to stop before he's like running after Brett and Gianna, but Brett. And like I hope that means we're getting Casey and Brett and it's gonna like actually happen. <laughs> Especially because, like, the episode description says, like, uncharted territory. Like, I'm hoping that means it's good and they're not going to say, like, yeah, we can't actually go there. Um, that would be so annoying. If they're, like, I would be so mad. That would be, that would be, like, a really, really mean bait and switch. Like, it's 2020. That is not necessary. Like, before I was okay with that possibility like if they kissed and we're like yeah we can't actually do this now that they've gone and this far if they say if they kiss and they're like actually we can't do this i'm gonna be like fuck everything this is a this is a textbook harry potter moment when sirius black is like i did my waiting who hears of it in azkaban you don't get it but all the listeners do um yeah yeah i just yeah i need them to kiss already but also, like, Casey running out of the truck while Stella's driving, that just seems unnecessary. It seems unnecessary, but, like, if he's doing that, boy's in love, I'm just saying. Yeah, okay, so you know what got me about this was when, uh, when he was like, okay, well, nobody's here, and he just flat out was like, do you have an extra pillow or an extra blanket? I'm staying. I was like, whoa, Casey got his game back! I know. Well, and then we get, I had it in the little, in the Stellaride section, because it has to do with also Stellaride sexy time. But when Stella wakes up that morning and is, like, asking Severide about, like, where Casey is, and he, like, returns home, and they think he had, like, a one-night stand at Brett's, and it was just, like, I, I mean, I love it. I loved all that moment, too. I love how Severide, like, wasn't even trying to pay attention to it, and Stella was just, like, this is weird, and Severide was, like, stop. Just stop. Yeah. 
I love it. I love it. I love it. So go ahead. Yeah. So we did have a listener thoughts on this. Um, Catherine said, I'm not on board with Bretzy. I don't know if I will, but not against them either. I'll just have to wait and see. But besides uh, Jesse's hair, the season is working for me. Yes. Right. Oh, we really need to do this power ranking. Like, (laughs) yeah, we're real though. We're real. Yeah. So next up are the stellar rides and like, just they're still they're still stellar ride. They're still so amazing. <laughs> Thank God for that. I love every minute of it. I yeah, every single minute of it. So, according to Kelly, we kind of we come in like right in the middle of the action. So Stella's been trying to get Girls on Fire like back on its feet, but it's been like pulling teeth because obviously with the pandemic and everything, the CFD brass has been like. Eh. So we cut to Stella pleading with the community relations guy to bring it back, and it was pretty funny because. She's just like, prom- or she's just like, you know, we'll mask up, we'll stay six feet apart, you've just got to bring it back, and uh, he's just like, okay, but no promises, and she's like, no, no, you have to sell it the way I just sold it to you. Yeah, but my favorite thing is, he, she's like trying to sell it to him, he's like, but this is about public health during a pandemic, <laughs> like, yeah. I love, love it. it. Yeah. So then Stella comes into Kelly's office to vent. And I mean, this is just Stella ride being Stella ride. Like they are just, they're on, they're on a whole nother wavelength. And I, I, I'm here for every minute of it. I'm just like eating it up. I'm like, this is wonderful. I know. I love how she goes into Kelly's office to vent. And then by the time she leaves, she's like so calm. He's like calm. I, I love it. Yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect. And so Stella's just like, I'm worried about these girls losing a year of their lives, which like we all have, which is just mm-hmm. bananas. And so we cue the Stellaride music. The Stellaride music, P.S., which Brenda did not realize we had. Actually, I didn't realize we had it either until the Stellaride episode that we did. I know. And then now I can't not hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you didn't know that there's Stellaride music, congratulations. There is Stellaride music. Yeah. yeah. Go back and watch some Stellaride scenes and you'll piece it together. Um, what were you going to say? Yeah. Cutest stellar music because we get like one of the cutest stellar moments. Oh my God. Yeah. And so she like, she sits in his lap and he just goes, do you know how proud I am of you? And he goes, tell me again. <laughs> They're so cute. I love them. Um, I can pull the audio of this moment too. Yeah. That's a good one. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. So they're so good. Um, so meanwhile, Bowden wants to see Stella. And it turns out she can resume Girls on Fire as long as it's outdoors and 10 girls at a time. Yay! The Bowden Stella relationship is so underrated. I think, I think it's becoming, it's getting better and better. It's good. It is. Because Bowden's so impressed that she pulled it off. And he's like, how'd you do that? And she's like, persistence, chief. And he's like, yeah, you got that, don't you? And she's like, yeah, ask Severide when he doesn't want to watch The Bachelor with me. Okay, <laughs> it's time for me to set The Bachelor. Okay, so <laughs> what does Kelly think of the new season? Does he think Claire is crazy? Yeah, oh, I, does he think Claire's crazy? I mean, yes. <laughs> what does Stella think of Claire and Dale? Stella's probably eating it up. Stella's probably like me, where you're like, eh, that was a little too soon, but then you watch him offline or off the episode, and you're like, oh, no, that's real. That's real shit. Stella probably thinks Claire is pretty extra. Yes, but she also probably loves it. Kelly's just like, what? Um, I could see Stella being a huge fan of Tasha. Like, she, she oh, loves yes. Tasha. Yeah. Yes, yes, 100%. And Kelly's probably sitting there and he's like, this Spencer guy's a tool. 
Oh, he's the worst. Yeah. Kelly's like secretly into it now. He'll never admit it, but he's secretly into it. Yeah, for sure. I love it. Do you think he's into it enough to watch all? I'm sure he watched like when there's paradise, he will watch paradise too. Oh my God. Stella will make him watch paradise. Yeah, I, I, I can see Kelly being like, Stella, the Hawks are on. And Stella's like, Bachelor in Paradise is on. Like, that's going to have more action than the Hawks game. I mean, the seasons don't line up, so that doesn't actually work. But yes, theoretically, I understand what your point is. Just just, just work with me here right now. I know. I'm just saying, <laughs> you picked the, like a winter sport and a summer show. <laughs> that doesn't really work. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think with Tasha, Stella is all about Tasha, and Kelly is more about the guys and judging them. I don't think Kelly can't. I mean, I think Kelly's into it, but I think Kelly's into hating it. Yeah, but that guy who was like, that guy who was just like, was totally rude to Claire and was like, you're almost 40. Like, Kelly was definitely sitting on the couch like, that guy's a dick. Yeah, agree. Uh, yes, agree with that. He also probably, I'm sure Kelly finds Bennett fascinating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That date they had where they played like naked dodgeball, I'm sure Kelly was just like, Stella, what are we watching? Yeah, he's like, why am I sitting here? <laughs> He's like, I wish Casey was here to hang out so I could avoid this. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, having yeah, I mean, Ke- a cigar chat. Why, why am I sitting here watching The Bachelor? Kelly is definitely part of Bachelor Nation now. Un- unwillingly, but yes. Yeah, yeah. And every week he's probably just like, oh, that's a different suit Chris Harrison's wearing. <laughs> love it. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. I love it. I just love that tidbit. I'm like, thank you for letting us know that the I know. I'm like, you can't give us that. You can't give us that and, like, not expect us to run with it. Oh, yeah. No. Just run with it. Run with it. And then Stella's probably like, Kelly, would you ever go on this show? And Kelly's like, Stella, stop it. And she's like, no, really. Like, would you offer her rose? But do you think Kelly would have been a good Bachelor contestant back in the circle days? I love this question. Okay. Back in the circle days. Mostly Um, now. Like, no. Now it doesn't matter. I'm talking about, like, sex with a bunch of them and, like, break their hearts. They'd all be crying in the confession. But as a contestant himself... Oh, not The Bachelor, but a contestant himself. Right. If he was on the contestant side, I think he would have been a great contestant. Um, I don't know, though. He wouldn't be into the whole emotional side of it. Right? Well, depending. And he but, wouldn't be bold enough to be like, can I steal you for a sec? He would go home pretty early. Really? Yeah. In the circle I, days. No. I think he's suave enough to make it pretty far. I think, I think he's suave enough to make it pretty far. Post Anna Priestella, yes. Circle days, I don't think so. I don't know. Like the post Britney days, I think he would be so apathetic to everything. He'd be like, "That's too much work. I'm just gonna like sit here and drink my drink and wear my suit." Maybe I don't know. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. So good. let us know what you think Kelly would be like on The Bachelor, please. Pre Stella days. Pre-Stella days. Now it doesn't count. But yes, pre-Stella days. Where were we again? (laughs) Um, About to hit Stella and Severide sexy time. Go ahead. So again, Stella the next morning comes out in her towel and she's like, where's Casey? He didn't come home last night. And Severide's like, oh, what do I care? (laughs) And Stella's like, I think he went to Brett's. And they have this whole thing. Casey walks in, whatever. And they get little sexy time. And Stella's basically like, do you want to see what's under my towel? And Severide's like, definitely. <laughs> I love how we're not even being coy about it now. We're just like. Well, and they're like, somebody's got to get some action this morning. And I just. I and the run back into the bedroom. I was yes! like. Yes! 
I love it. And I love too, because earlier our, in our Celluride episode, we're like, man, it's been a little bit since we've got some Celluride sexy time. And now I'm like, thank you. Thank you. So everyone in 51 gets called to a big fire at a photography studio. And of course, there's like pyrotechnics in the studio because of course there is like. Okay, but wait a second. This is, this is a step up, right? This is better than the time that there was like ammunition in the house and we didn't know until Otis got shot. Yes, and obviously this is better than any warehouse fire, but still, like, of course, there's pyrotechnics in the studio. Like, of course there is. Just, like... No mattresses this time. No mattresses, though. Um, and Severide, though, basically ends up getting trapped, which if, like, of course, I'm like, we can't have nice things, and we cannot almost kill Severide in the season premiere, please. Um, but Stella is Stella, and she ends up saving his life. Only Kelly Severide gets, like, pinned under debris in the middle of a raging fire, gets his mask knocked off with his pass alarm blaring, and is totally chill about it. Yeah. I, yeah. Just Stella being Stella, getting, saving her boyfriend's ass. Love She knocks a statue into the wall. I know! It's amazing! That's some severide shit. I know. Um, so... Can I have a question, though? And this is, like, so... I don't know why I was thinking about this today. I like how so, you're asking me if you can ask a question. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. So what I was thinking about, and again, I was just very much feeling the Stellarite sexy time. What do we think... Do you think they had rescue sex once they got off shift? Like, do you think that's a thing? <laughs> question so much, too! Um, thinking about that but i was thinking about that was it the end of shift though because i mean do they have stellaride sexy time in the house i don't know about that i feel like that's a little much but like she just saved his fucking ass they like <laughs> i love this so much <laughs> These are where my brain, this is what my brain goes to. I don't know. Rescue sex. Rescue sex. <laughs> oh, it was just what my brain was thinking about. Um, I think if, if, if this is like at the end of shift, yeah, sure. They go back to their apartment and have sexy time. If it's on shift, I mean, the only place to have sexy time safely is in the showers, right? Well, Kelly has his own room. But there's windows. There's blinds, but, like, anybody can yeah. come in at any time. I mean, I'm just saying, you lock the door, you close the blinds. I mean, I don't know. I don't think they do it in the house. But okay, I don't know. Then Again. they gotta be quiet, and, like, that takes half the fun out of it. <laughs> Again, this is where my brain went to when I was rewatching it. I don't know. Oh, this is amazing. Where my brain went to. I don't, I think if, like, if they're in the middle of shift and they're not off till the next day, I don't know if, like, do, do the emotions still run high? Like, do they still have I don't know. That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm asking. have ever had on this podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> so, when they get back, though... Bowden calls Stella into his office and tells her he wants her to take the lieutenant's exam when it's offered in a few months. Okay, wait, and, wait, wait. Yes. Imagine the awkwardness if they had rex rescue sex in the <laughs> house and then Bowden's like, can I see you in my office? <laughs> if I'm Stella, I have crazy anxiety. I'm like, oh shit, the chief knows. Oh my god. Oh my god, do you think next week <laughs> Fred, <laughs> Fred and Casey have rescue sex? 
my god. I need I need next week just to be their first kiss. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying it was just, it was too good not to pass up. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Anyway. So Bowden tells Stella again he wants her to take the lieutenant's exam because well, from what based on what Kelly told her about or Kelly told him about how the call went, like she's more than ready. And he even says too, it's not even just about that. He says that like there's not enough women or people of color in leadership positions inside the CFDs. So like it's he wants her to do it because she's ready, but also like the department needs her. And so Stella, of course, goes to Severide and she's like freaking out. Because she's like, I thought about being a lieutenant one day, but not now. And am I ready? And blah, blah, blah. And someone's like, first of all, calm down. Like, you got this. And he's like, two things. One, you have plenty of time, so you won't even have to cram. Like, you'll be ready. And she's like, well, what's two? And he's like, you have me. Unlimited help, day or night, 24-7. And I'm just like, I love you guys. Boyfriend of the year. Literally, though. We have a shirt for that. We do. Anyway. So, yeah. That is the little Stellaride scenes but love it so, so good and so uh we got a couple of messages from you guys about this and samantha said i am so here for lieutenant stella um me too me, me too. too just that's lieutenant kid i can't wait for that when we're like excuse me that's lieutenant kid to you yeah oh so good um so she said the fact that stella wanted to bring back girls on fire because she cared about those girls and wanted to show them that they can have a bright future shows just what an amazing leader she's going to be yes 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 and I love so much that we're seeing Bowden recognize her potential and, and nurture it and grow it along. I'm so glad we're seeing this the whole thing develop. I love it. Yeah, um, me too. Nobody deserves this more. However, I can't help but wonder what this means for her future at 51. Severide's lieutenant of squad, Casey's captain on truck, and Herman's lieutenant on engine. So unless there's another rig at 51 that we don't know about, I don't know how she's logically going to be able to stay if she becomes lieutenant. Hope it all works out, though, because I love Stella and I'm not ready to lose her yet. I point to Station 19 in this instance where, like, everybody's a freaking lieutenant except for, like, Vic. Yeah, I have the same thought as Samantha. And, like, I don't think they're going to make her a lieutenant only for her to go away. Like, I just, I don't think that's what, I, I don't think they're going to do that. But I did have the same thought. I was like, but how does this work? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like they'll work it out somehow, though. They'll pull a Station 19. There's, like, three lieutenants in that, in that firehouse. Yeah, but Station 19 runs differently, though. I know. I know, but yeah. I can't wait to watch that episode when we're done recording. Don't anyway. spoil it for me, though. Anyway. I know. I'm just going to send you all caps text and be like, when are you going to watch? That's what I'm going to In gonna the morning, that's what I'm going to watch. Damn it. I wish you were in Central Time, just like me. Anyway. So the last bit was the, the comedic story here. I'm glad they found, they found room for a comedic story. I know, and it was so good. So good, so good. So Molly's has a patio. I love I it. I love it. I love it. I didn't even think about, well, first of all, I felt like a dumb ass for not even thinking about how Molly's was going to be infected in the pandemic. Like, literally did not even cross my mind until I heard Derek and Emily talking about it on the Watch With Us podcast. I was like, how did I not even, th I literally did not even think about it. I didn't think of it either. And then they were like, the patio. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Okay, but in our defense, right, like, we were prepping for the premieres, but also we had the election looming. So, like, our brains have been in other places. No, but never even in, like, early on in pandemic, pre-election. Like, I literally never thought about the fact that Molly's would have been infected. Yeah. Never. It never yeah. crossed my mind. No, no, no. So, 
So Herman sees an article in the paper about a guy in Colorado who buried like a million dollars worth of diamonds and then wrote a poem that was basically a map leading people to the treasure as a promotion. This is such a Herman and Mouch thing. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. It really is. And you hear him start talking about it and you're like, what? Only these two. Only these two. So Herman, of course, is like, I want to do that for Molly. It's like, let's bring attention to the patio we're opening. And Ritter's like, I want to write. Like, I want to help. I love it. I love everything about that, too, only because Ritter, you know, Herman and Mouch are Ritter's mentors, and mm-hmm. I love the fact that he was wanting to get in on their little thing. I just, I loved it all. I loved it so much. It was so, so good. So, I think the first place Herman goes wrong is burying it right outside the firehouse. Yes. I mean, everybody knows Molly's is a firefighter bar. Yes. Yeah, that was that was your first mistake. I, I don't I don't think the poem was the mistake. I think burying it outside of fifty one was. I think the poem was also a mistake, but yes, you should not have buried it outside of fifty one. Yeah, so they bury it right in front of the firehouse. They go back to Molly's to work on the poem, and Ritter like totally kills the poetic opening because Malge's version, you know, it's like poetic, whatever, it's good. But then Ritter's version, it's so poetic that we're all just like, huh? Yeah, and um. Herman's like, I got no idea what it's saying. And Mouch's like, isn't that the point? (laughs) So cut to the end when Ritter and Mouch and Herman are outside scrubbing their gear and a guy like digs it up right in front of them. She's like, of course he does. So, so them. Just very, very, a very Herman and Mouch story. Yes. So I wonder when we're going to see the the inside of Molly's then, if we're going to see it at all this season. I don't know. I mean... Um. But at some point in Chicago, it's going to get cold in the winter, like, unless they get some heaters, can you even have the patio for that much longer? I don't know. They were talking about it when, when the guy dug up the treasure, they were talking about getting heaters so that it would feel like July in the middle of January, and I quote. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so, but granted, I don't know if, like, I doubt Chicago cold is the kind where you can, like, still sit outside. Texas cold is, but I doubt Chicago yeah. cold is. Yeah, I don't know. Fire's back, y'all. Oh, so good. Any other notes on fire? No, but man, what an episode. Oh my goodness. I'm really excited for next week's episode of fire. I think I'm more excited for fire next week than anything. I saw a tweet that actually made me kind of laugh about the whole like Sylvie and Gianna thing that they were like, the new girl just got here and they already said yeet. And I was like, <laughs> 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 oh man, that's terrible, but funny. It is terrible, but funny. But yeah, like Gianna just got here. Let her live. My God. I know. I was like, Derek. What what are we doing here? What are we doing here? I know, I know. Like, I wonder who in that writer's room was like, yeah, we're going to bring in a new character. Oh, wait, how are we going to torture her in her first 42 minutes on the show? That sounds like a very Derek thing to do. Like, oh, yeah, we're not only going to put a gun to her head, we're going to throw her off the freaking side of a bridge. In the same episode on her first day. That's what I'm saying. I would say that it can only go up from here, but no. I mean, hopefully, but, like, yikes. Man. Man. So, now it is PD time. Yes. Oh, man. This episode, this made me angry. Yeah, I had a lot of feelings about this. Like, even last night, after I finished watching it, I was like, I need to watch that again. Only to, like, fully comprehend what I just saw. I mean, that's with most PD episodes, especially because they come on so late on the East Coast, like 10 p.m. I'm like, I need to watch it again with fresh eyes before I, like, make my thoughts. But, yeah, I was pissed last night. 
And this is what you always hear us say about One Chicago Wednesday. This is like the one drawback, in my opinion, is that like you have med, med takes brain power. You relax a little bit with Chicago Fire, and then it's like you have to apply brain power again to Chicago PD, and you're just like, oh, but I'm tired. Like, yeah. Yeah, this is the only, this is where it gets tricky. That transition between fire and PD is where things, that, that's like the hardest part of One Chicago Wednesday. It's like 10 p.m. for me, and I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, you get to sit back and chill with fire and enjoy it a little bit, and then you're just like, okay, now I have to sit up again and really pay attention to, like, the details. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we pick up right where we left off, pretty much. And so, Kevin is meeting with the state's attorney, who has been reviewing evidence in the Doyle case and just wants to, and I quote, touch base with him. Touch base. The thing that really, like, it made me so angry this episode that we've been, we're still doing this, is that everybody Atwater talks to is trying to gaslight him. Yeah, everyone, everyone's just trying to make him change his, I mean, like, go against what, like, he made his mind up. Like, why do we have to, like, try to, I mean, I get it, right? Like, it's this blue wall that we're talking about and this blue, you know, bond. But, like, he made a statement. Why is that not enough? Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm glad that Kevin has the courage of his convictions and he's strong enough in how he feels that he he can block everything out, right? He can say, no, no, even though I'm like an army of one here, this is what I believe, this is what I know happened because I was there and nobody else was and just shut everybody else out. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it did make me kind of, I was like, really? Really? Yeah, yeah. And nothing about Kevin's story has changed. And so, you know, he recants the whole thing. And the thing he says a couple times, he's like, I stand by my original story. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that's what happened. And we can say that because we saw it too. Yeah. And so she says, she's like, you believe these guys were acting in self-defense? And he says, yes, ma'am. And so she dismisses the homicide case, which like victory for Kevin, right? We should be like, good. That's that. It's not that. Yeah. And so Voight meets with Doyle's lieutenant, who denies going after Kevin. This Voight shit in this episode, like, oh it threw me for a loop. It, it, the thing that pissed me off about it, we'll get to it more as we get into the episode and get into, like, Voight's reactions. But, like, the thing that I didn't like about Voight in this episode, I mean, I hated the way he, the whole ending of it. But it's like, he's trying to have Atwater's back to other people, but then won't have Atwater's back to Atwater's face? Yeah. It's just like, what? Because, like, in this scene, he was, like, he's telling the guy, he's like, Atwater did what he thought was right. And it's like, so you're trying to defend Atwater? I don't, under- I don't understand. But even, even the phrasing of that sentence, like, cast doubt. I really, I didn't like the way he phrased that sentence. Because he was like, Atwater did what he thought was right. No, Atwater did what was right. Yeah. He told the truth. The truth is what is right. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so even way- if the truth is said, like, Doyle was the victim, okay, well, then Doyle was the victim, you know, like, whatever it is. Yeah. The way he says it here, it's as if he's basically telling Nolan, like, Atwater did what he did, and I just have to go with it. Yeah. It's just, it's all... So then Nolan fires back and he just goes, well, that kid Atwater broke the most sacred rule there is. He snitched on the police on a cop who died in the light of duty. Okay, this is, and I mean, with no experience, no, with knowing very little about, you know, the blue wall or life, or, you know, I was about to say life insurance. Why was I about to say that? What the? I don't Gina's know. tired. Gina's tired and Gina's right next to her work computer. Um, yeah, without knowing anything about like the blue wall, 
in this instance, the blue wall is bullshit. I just have to say it. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, I get it. And I don't want to say it's bullshit because, like, I know to a lot of people it means a lot, right? But it also doesn't mean that you can put that above certain moral things. Yeah, like, you're, you're going to tell me that the blue wall takes precedence over what is right and wrong. It's like, like, if I killed you right now, oh, just kidding, like, the blue wall will protect me, you know, it's fine. No, I killed you. And that wasn't yeah. right. Like, you know, it's just, I don't, yeah. Yeah. And so Nolan says, he's like, he crossed the line, the blue wall is there to keep us together, it keeps us safe. It keeps you safe, but it doesn't keep you honest. Right. And that's what I think, that's, I think, really where it drives me more crazy. It's like, I'm all for the blue wall and obviously having each other's backs and, you know, that brotherhood that I feel like is a lot of what the police is because of just the nature of the work of being a police officer. But I don't think that should, again, put you on a different level and, like, think you're exempt from certain things just because of that. Yeah, and I want to clarify, I'm not saying the blue wall is bullshit. I'm not. I'm saying in this instance, in this context, it's bullshit. Because yeah. it's, I mean, it, it's, it's a difference between right and wrong here. I mean, it's flat out, it's racism. It's, it's, what happened was racism. It was wrong. It was tragic. And so when I hear Nolan say that it keeps us together, it keeps us strong, it keeps you strong in, in, the, in, in the notion that, or it keeps us safe in the notion that you can do whatever you want and hide behind the badge. That's the whole reason for everything that's been going on this summer. Yeah. 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 So Kevin shares the good news with Sean's wife. Sean, of course, is the guy who died in the season finale. And this had major, like, Jay and Angela West vibes. Did, did you feel the same? No, I didn't think so. I mean, like, a little bit, but it's different, the, the Jay and Angela thing. Yeah, true, true. Kevin didn't put Sean Page in this situation. Doyle did. Yeah. Whereas Jay put Marcus in that situation, which we, you know, I'm still not over that. I never will be. Um, yeah. And so he tells the good news and she's just like, the city needs more people like you, like people who care, people who treat people like people. But Sean's son cannot see past the badge. And she even says, he's like, why did you kill him? And so as Kevin's leaving, there's a patrol car that like speeds away from his car. And this, again, it's just like bananas to me. Is that because you, you see in the next scene when he's telling Ruzik, he's like, I see a cop and I freak out. He is a cop. I know. I know. He's like, I'm so paranoid. And I'm like, I mean, you do kind of, I understand why you are. I'm not saying you're crazy for being paranoid. But like the fact that we're at this point already, it's just like, really? I, I hate this for him. I hate that he's going through this. And I hate that his own fellow police have turned on him. Yeah. We're doing the right thing. I know. Yeah. All Kevin did was speak out against racism. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, yeah. So Kevin notices the car, like, speed away. He admits to Ruzik he's starting to get paranoid. And so he and Ruzik search the car together. I mean, thank God for Adam in this episode, because without him, Kevin is truly alone. Yep. Yeah. So they do a thorough search and Adam finds heroin planted in the truck. And so he's like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And 
Kevin's like, I'm going to handle it. Don't worry. I'm going to dump it. And he just goes, Adam says, you do what you got to do, but remember that I'm here to help you any way you want. Thank God for Adam. Like, well, actually though. Yeah. Thank God for Adam. And so there was that moment when like, when he pulls the, the drugs from the car that like you see Ruzik glance at Burgess, there was, I don't think that was a Burzik scene. I think that was literally just like, we need to keep this between the two of us. Yeah. I mean, it was nice to see that he looked at her like for a hot second, but yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, Upstairs, the new deputy superintendent is giving a speech. Did you get like a little chuckle every time they called her the deputy soup? It was weird. Yeah, yeah. We watched the boys, and on the boys, they call them soups. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I got a little laugh at that every time. Upton was like, Yeah, the deputy soup's giving soup. a speech. I'm like, Soup where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, that's a whole other conversation for another time. Like, if Voight was a soup, what would his superpower be? I don't know. I need to think about that. <laughs> I need um, to think about that probably just like violence without doing anything just with his mind yeah he'd be some kind of like homelander spinoff i mean i can't i can't imagine what's worse Voight and all of his police brutality or homelander mm. like if you had to choose they're both kind of equal although homelander could destroy me with his laser eyes i think homelander's technically a little worse but yeah it's but like Voight's committed murder too yeah Welcome to meet us at the boys. Um, anyway, so yeah, so upstairs, the new superintendent, she's giving a speech and um, Haley just like said, she's like, well, she's pretty much telling us that we're a bunch of unenlightened idiots, which by the way, is not what the uh, sneak peek said. Um, in the sneak peek, they tried to get in an, an, an asshole. She was like, yeah, she's telling us that we're a bunch of unenlightened assholes. Um, and Jay is like, I wouldn't go that far. Like, she's just telling us what we already know. Police have to do a better job at de-escalating, which, okay, Jay's on the right track. I'm glad Jay is self-aware enough to know, like, that's what's going that, on. Yeah. I was yeah. like, okay, thank God. Yeah. And so Haley says, like, sure, but she doesn't have to be so disrespectful. We're all trying our best. Which I don't, I don't think Haley was saying this coming from a bad place. I don't think she's coming from a bad place either, but I also think that's part of the problem, right? Is that, like, she's not coming from a bad place, but she doesn't recognize what she's saying is also bad. Yeah, and okay, so if, 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 again, 2020's changed us all, right, with the COVID, with the social justice things and everything like that, when, I know for me personally, it has me, it's changed me in that before, when I have a thought or before I say something, I try to really think it through. Yes, and, but the thing about Haley, though, is I feel like Haley's changed a lot, like, Haley went from being, like, our moral compass to, like, Voight, Voight, yeah, Voight, and so, like, now the fact that she doesn't even recognize what she's saying is just, like, Haley, this is not a good look. I think, I think she did the opposite of what I've been doing, and that she just had the thought and blurted it and didn't think it through. Right, but that's not okay either. No, it's not, it's not, but I think at the same time, she was getting like there was a lot this sneak peek dropped and a lot I, of hate dropped on twitter but the thing that i think that i don't like about this and that i don't like about Haley in this episode from the little bit we see we didn't see a ton of Haley, but like the little bit that i liked is that like Haley when she has that conversation with jay later she's not like oh what i said was wrong she's like i hope kevin didn't take what i mean to say is like bad and like you know like i just I, it's hard for me to say that, like, I don't know. It's just, I didn't like it. No, and I, I mean, I, I, I didn't either. And I'm, I'm absolutely not giving her a pass at all. And if she apologizes no. to Kevin in the next episode, if we see that, is 
is it water under the bridge or do we still borderline cancel her? No, I no, and I'm not near canceling her yet, but mm-hmm. like that's not a good look. And I think I'll be interested to see where Haley goes. Because if Haley's gonna keep saying stuff like this, then yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, she's gonna be canceled. No, but if she if she recognizes what she said and she apologizes to Kevin, I mean, I don't think we're gonna see her apologize, to Kevin. I mean, maybe, but like, I don't know. I don't think not because that she doesn't want to, but I just don't think we'll see her apologize. Ah, damn it, because. That brought up a good point in that sneak peek. It was like, we're all learning, right? We're all learning. Yeah. And so where is the line between giving people that space to grow and saying, like, one shot and you're done? Well, no, but that's what I'm saying. And that's why I'm saying she's not canceled. But, like, mm-hmm. I also think that, like, when she's reflecting back on it, too, it wasn't even, again, it wasn't even, like, oh, what I said was bad. It was, like, oh, I hope Kevin didn't think I was trying to be mean to him. Yeah. And that's, I mean, uh, that's, like, halfway there, but, like, you didn't even recognize, like, why you said was bad, what you said was bad. So if over the course of the season she she comes to realize, like, okay, this is what I said, this was wrong, and she grows from it. Yeah, yeah, then that's fine. And, like, yeah. again, I think there's a lot of, even Voight, which we'll get to, we'll get to the Voight stuff. But, yeah, I think, I mean, again, but if, if she just keeps going on this route, then, like, you know. Yeah, and this is the dilemma I found myself in. It was like, you know, where's the line between giving people room to grow and just right out off the bat being like, because eh? I found myself doing that with Haley and Boyd. With Haley, I was like, okay, we need to give her a little time to like learn and grow and just adapt. Whereas with Boyd, I was like, well, we'll shut the door on that one. I think for me, I also kept coming back to last night, especially with Boyd too. I was like, this is a television show mm-hmm. and like give the story time to play out like it's designed in a way that it's not all going to be resolved in 42 minutes yeah like give the time story to grow and we'll get there for the point part but yeah I I again it's only if they if she keeps going down this road and keeps saying things like this and not really reflecting on it then I may have to cancel Kaylee but we're not there we're not there yet we're not there yet remember that time they tried to make Ruzik a racist and they immediately like dialed it back yes there's hope. Maybe. No, there, there is a lot of hope. I just did not like this one thing that came out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Kevin stops her cold and he's like, it's not good enough, Haley. Like, it's not. Yeah. And he keeps going and he's just like, you know, you know, we, CPD did not kill George Floyd, but we sure as hell killed Sean Page. And, you know, maybe we need to just reserve judgment and hear what Sam Miller has to say. And so when Haley's like, I, I didn't mean, you know, Jay just kind of puts up his hand and is like, stop, just, just leave it. Which this, like, the upset part of this bugged me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. So this whole thing with Kevin is going on, right? And it seems like right now Atwater is literally the only one who has Kevin's back. Quite literally the only person because... Except for Ruzik. Who did I say? You said Atwater is the only one. You, yeah, you said Ruzik. Ruzik. I meant Ruzik. Okay. So it seems like, yeah, Atwater's having his own back, which obviously, but Adam is the only one who has Atwater's back. Literally the only person, quite literally the one, because it appears to me based off that moment that Upstead is staying out of it and they're keeping Burgess in the dark and she's okay with it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Did you get that vibe? I kind of got that vibe, but then at the same time, part of me was like, it just may have been the way everything was written because Jay literally says, he's like, I wouldn't even, he, Haley said her thing and Jay's like, I don't know if I would go that far. Like, 
police have to do a better job at de-escalating. So clearly Jay is on the right side of it. We just don't see him at all. I, you know, and same with Kim. Like, I think Kim totally is on that side too. We just, Kim just is like, yeah, I'm, you know. I can see Kim really wanting to help and Ruzik just being like, just trust us. Like you can't. We, well, we, I mean, Ruth, she didn't even want her name dragged into the whole thing when the guy threw the beer bottle at them. Yeah, and Ruzik's like, "I want to fight," and Kim's like, "Yeah, I'm not throwing my career away over a freaking beer bottle." No, no, but I'm. I would if 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 that is the case that Upstead's staying out of it and they're keeping Burgess in the dark and like they're both totally fine with it. Like that's out of character for the unit. Yeah, and I'm hoping that this was just an episode and we'll see a little bit more of how the unit feels about it as it goes on. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Voight goes to meet with Sam Miller in her office and she is just like singing his praises. She's like, you're a hell of a cop. And so she says, I want to give you a heads up cop to cop. If you keep running your unit the way you have for the last seven years, you're going to be out of a job by Christmas. When I saw this clip, I was like, yes. Love Only her. because I was really happy. Somebody finally put it to Voight like that. Yeah, I know. Love her. Yeah. And so she said, she said, I'm on your side. I want you to succeed. If Hank Voigt can change the way he polices, if he can learn how to play by the rules, the rest of the department will follow. Does she want, is she so, is she such a proponent of his success because she wants Hank to change or because she wants to make herself look good? Or is it too early to tell? Both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know the full story with her yet. So we'll see. No. We will see. So... Voight and Kevin are walking back to the car and Voight is just telling him that like the case being dismissed is going to rile up the cops even more. How, how does that help matters at all? It doesn't. And just, yeah, like, so when Voight sits in on him, Kevin says, like I was trying to say, he literally like parses it out like that. That's like the equivalent of saying per my last email. Yep. Pretty much. That's like the passive aggressive work email. Because, again, nobody is listening to this man. Nope. Especially not Voight. No. And so Voight's just saying that, like, oh, it's going to rile them up. And Kevin's like, yeah, but, again, it's not their problem. And so Voight is just like, I'm trying to help you. But you're not. Again, I don't like the way that Voight went from telling other people that, like, he basically has Atwater's back to not actually having Atwater's back to his face. Exactly. Exactly. And this is the way he's like, he's like, Kevin, Kevin, I'm trying to help you. I think he thinks he's trying to help him, but he doesn't realize he's making it worse. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I just feel, I feel like by recognizing, I'm, I feel like he's trying, he's trying to be impartial almost, right? He's trying to recognize how the other side is going to feel about this. But by doing that, he's invalidating Kevin's feelings. Yes. Took me a second, but yes, I got you. Yeah, because every time Kevin's like, on that night, they were not offenders. And Voight responds with, oh, well, you know, the blue wall is such a big thing. Like, they're not going to back down or whatever. He's basically saying, like, I don't care what happened that night. This is the case. Yep. Yeah. So then Voight's like, well, if you ever need to talk. And like, why the hell would he want to talk to you after you just said that? Right. He's so baffled why Kevin is, like, shutting him out. And I'm like, have you heard what's coming out of your mouth? So, um, 
Brenda, take it a little bit from here because if I keep going, it's just I'm going to like rant myself into oblivion. Okay. So Rusik and Kevin set up outside this girl Anna's house, which we'll get to in a second when we get to the case, but this mm-hmm. is more important. So Rusik makes a comment about how he's a little impressed with how, how Anna didn't roll on her people. And Kevin takes it a little personally. He's like, I get it, bro. Like, she didn't roll on her homies. And Rusik's offended then that Kevin took it personally. And he's like, you did what you had to do, and I have no issues with that. And again, Kevin's still, like, paranoid about the whole situation. Um, and he tells Rusik, though, that he ended up dumping the heroin. He was like, it was the only move. Just because, and I love this line so much. He says, just because people are marching in the street doesn't mean the world has changed. Cops are still blue. I'm still black. Yeah. I literally, as soon as I heard that, I was like, yes, that is that, that. And you can tell that Kevin, it's weighing on Kevin because, again, I don't blame him for doubting what Ruzik was saying in that moment. Ruzik is his only ally at this moment. So, of course, he's going to assume that everybody's out to get him. Yeah. Um, But I love, too, that Ruzik was offended that Kevin thought, you know, I love that Ruzik was like, no, like, I, no, what I am, I am here for you. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you need me to do what I, I I am here for you. And I, I I love that when he was like, look at who you're talking to. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. So Kevin's driving home and he gets pulled over for supposedly running a stop sign. He's like, no, I didn't. I know. I I know. I know. (laughs) Hold on. So he gets approached by two police officers, a like younger white guy and an older black guy. And he's like trying to tell them that he's also a fellow police officer, but the older black guy is like not even backing down. Um, and so Kevin's like, I'm going to reach for my badge now. And as he goes to reach for his badge, they like pull their guns on him. So he ends up getting out of the car, hands up, you know, the whole thing. He pulls his badge out or he's like, my ID is in my left pocket. And the white guy pulls it out. And he's like, oh, he is a white cop, whatever. And then the older black guy is like, oh, well, we had an anonymous tip that somebody was selling drugs in the car. And the white guy even is like, what is happening here? And then all of a sudden, you know, Kevin gets in this guy's face. And he's like, because he realizes that, like, he works with, like, Doyle's. He's, like, in that crew. And he's like, Kevin says, he said, you can search the car, Ron, but you ain't going to find a damn thing because I already found the dope. It was in the trunk. Is this really what you want to do, black man? It's just like, this was the moment where I was like, I know we talk about this all the time about how PD's a procedural and it will never win any awards. But that scene right there was like why LaRoyce needs to win all the freaking awards. Yeah. Like that scene right there. No, 100%. And I just... It still blows my mind that it took five seasons to start giving LaRoyce, like, full-on, legit storylines, like, actual materials, because, like, we've had this the entire time. I know. It's yeah. just, like... He's incredible, and he's crushing it, and, like, LaRoyce is, he's, he is, he's taking this very seriously, and he's giving it, the, he's giving this the magnitude that it deserves, like... Yeah, when I love, to his little IG post that he made before the season, and it showed, like, the little, it was, like, the, de- it was basically, like, detailing, like, what happened from, like, the end of last season until now, and, like, how it showed, he talked a little bit in there about how seriously he's taking it, um, and how important it is to him to, like, work on the, you know, be on the show at this time, and to be portraying this role, and I just, yeah, the scene is, that scene was just, I mean, it sucked, and I hated everything about it, because I, you know, story-wise, but I loved everything about it, acting, you know, everything else. I also, I found myself comparing this to the time he was pulled over in Night in Chicago, and it's just, like, 
Kevin's almost jaded this time around, right? Like the first time around, yeah. he, was, he was shocked. He was bewildered. Like he didn't know what to do. And he approached it very like, innocently and honestly. This time around, he's like, here we go again. Yeah. It just, again, it, it makes me angry for him. It makes me angry and it makes me really sad. Yeah. I, it, yeah. So then, of course, Kevin gets caught in the Voight office about his little beef from the night before. And Voight's mad at Kevin for not telling him. And because, of course, Voight's like, well, tell me so I can lie for you. And she's like, but you haven't been there for him. So why would Kevin tell you? And that's what Kevin even says. Kevin's like, well, my plan is just to sit back and, like, wait for some actual evidence to appear. Like, there's nothing really I can do with that. And instead of Kevin or Voight being like, yeah, I got your back, Voight's like, ah, oh, Kevin, the blue wall is a tricky thing. Like, it's not a person. It's not an object. It's a code. You've never really seen it. I mean, it's there, but it's not really there. It's like trying to find a ghost, Kevin. Find a Stop ghost, Kevin. defending it. I know. And Kevin's like, I know, but I still want to do this my way. This is totally reminiscent of like a, like a season one, season two Voight and Antonio conversation. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. But like 10 times worse. Yeah, because Voight's Because that was just them, like, butting heads over, like, silly shit that in the end didn't actually matter that much. I mean, it did, but, like, in comparison, it didn't actually matter that much. This is, like, whoa. Because the the whole subtext of this conversation is Voight saying, do this my way. Fight back, fight dirty. Well, and the thing that I don't like about Voight and why I find Voight to be so hypocritical is Voight says, again, we've kind of beat this around the bush, but Voight says, like, yeah, I'm here to support you no matter what, but then clearly is like, I think you should do it this way, without actually saying, I think you should do it this way. Yeah. And it just, it drives me insane. Oh, yeah. No, big time. Big time. And I, I, when this, when this whole thing started, when they found the dope in the car the first time, I was like, why wouldn't you tell Voight? But then... In this moment, I, I put it together. I was like, because Kevin feels like Boyd doesn't have his back. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. So after they do their raid, again, we'll get to the case part in a second. Um, Boyd asks Ruzik. He even cares so much, he's going to actually go talk to Ruzik about it, which kind of was shocking to me. Yeah. Um, if he's talked to Kevin about the Doyle stuff. And Ruzik's like, I have. And Boyd's just like, I'm trying, but Kevin's shutting me out. And Ruzik's like... Ruzik is trying to point it out to Voight, too. He's like, he did what he had to do. It's different from him. It just is. You know being a black cop here in Chicago these days can't be easy. I never thought I'd see the day where Ruzik is the voice of reason. I know. Especially to Voight of all people. What? I'm surprised that, I'm, I'm really surprised that A, Ruzik was comfortable saying that to Voight, and B, that Voight, like, welcomed it. Well, did Voight actually welcome it, though? Um, well, yeah, I think so, because Voight never, you never see Voight actually, like, show concern, where he's, I mean, he feels it, he just never shows it. Okay, let's rephrase this. He may have welcomed it, but did he actually take what Ruzik said to heart? Oh, hell no. No, because we saw that in, like, the third to last scene. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, he may have welcomed it. That's why I said, let me rephrase that. He may have welcomed it, but he clearly, it was like Rusik was talking and it went in one ear and out the other. Because he's void. He never listens to anybody else but himself. But that's why I was honestly kind of surprised that Voight even asked. Like, Voight asked, but like, did Voight just ask to be like, oh, I want to show that I'm concerned. I think it was the kind of thing where he got the answer he wanted and then was just like, I'm not listening to the rest. Mm, yeah, I guess, but... And then we get to the scene that is, like, the high point or low point, I guess, depending on how you want to 
phrase it and look at it, but of the episode, like the emotional climax of the episode. This scene is so like emotionally charged that we just, we were just going to play the clip instead of like relay it in like bad PD theater. Do what you need me to Laura do. Laura Diaz just died. Five years old. Brick who pulled the trigger sitting right in there. Doesn't matter. Of course it matters. He killed her. I know he did. We all know he did. But we can't just drag his ass down to a cage. We done with all of that. Oh, yeah? Says who? Kaiser Santos. Says me. I'm really glad that Kevin is... Kevin. Kevin's just kind of throwing caution to the wind, right? I'm glad that he's, like, he's putting his foot down. Yeah. I, I, I am, too. Like, it's... We've always said that someone needs to stand up to Voight, and I'm glad that Kevin's finally doing it. And yeah. that it's, like, Kevin of all people. But here's the thing, too, is the way that Adam says, you know, can we let this go, that, to me, implies that they've had this conversation a couple of times throughout, like, since from March. Yeah, and I will say that, like, I'm glad, that, as much as I am glad that, again, Kevin is finally standing up to someone and that, like, it is Kevin, I also kind of wish that someone else was like, yeah, Kevin, you're totally right. Like, I wish someone else had, like, stepped in there. I know that's not the point of the moment, and, like, this is, at this point, in the show, it's about Kevin versus Voight, and so, like, I don't think they were ever gonna be like, yeah, we're gonna put everyone else on Kevin's side. Mm-hmm. Like, that would have been awesome to see, like, someone stand up for Kevin, too. Where do you think Platt falls on this? I don't know. Some of the way she was talking in this episode made it kind of seem like she's more towards Voight's old school ways, and not because she doesn't believe in de-escalating. I think she's a little more on the, like, Kevin's side of that point I think she also just likes the way things have been done like she's old school and that she's set in her ways yeah I I can't help but think that she would speak out against it too if Kevin if if she heard Hank be like put him in the cage that she would speak up right but I don't like I think in your if you're talking about like day-to-day things I think yeah she likes the way things are and so like when she even talks about the deputy soup deputy soup to Voight she's like oh okay we you know she, like, makes a comment, like, then kind of in that tone, and you're like, oh, okay. Okay, speaking of Platt, and I, 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 just, I just have to say this part, it's like, the scene before this is when Voight is talking to the little girl's dad, and when he storms out, you see Voight just kind of stand there for a second, and he gives Trudy a look, and, like, it's just this, like, rage just kind of formulating, and I think this was just poorly edited. I don't think this was, like, a bad acting moment, because according to Marina, Amy Morton is just, like, not capable of anything bad ever, and I believe it. So, Voight like has this look of rage and he storms up the stairs and when he walks past Trudy Trudy gets this total like fake look of like shock on her face did you notice that no I didn't he walks past and it's just like in context it seems like terrible acting but Platt just goes (gasps) and it was just like (laughs) so bad and you can't see the face I just made in the camera but um it's one of those moments that's supposed to like shock you but actually made me kind of laugh but um yeah and so I'm, I'm really glad that Kevin is finally stepping up to Hank. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad that it took eight seasons for, some, for somebody to finally try and put Hank in his place. But when it comes to somebody supporting Atwater, I'm glad that Ruzik walked out with Kev. Agree. Yeah. Agree. Um, but then we have the second half of this scene. And this is where shit just hits the fan. You calling the shots now, Kev? No, but I know we can't keep bringing people down to a cage and beating their ass because we think they know something or did something. 
Those days are over. You don't like the way I do business? I'm not woke enough for you? You feel free to get the hell out. Oh, sir, this is your unit. I'm proud to work here, but things have definitely changed. That means that we gotta change, too. Yeah, you wanna walk, be a Boy walk. Scout? You wanna be a Boy Scout? Maybe you should get yourself another job. I'll tell you what, you're right about one thing. This is my unit. And in my unit, we do what we gotta do to put bad guys away. Whatever it takes. I mean, I know what I want to say, Brian. You say it first. Or speak first. No, no, go, go. Dude, fuck Hank. I know. It, yeah, I get, okay. I get being mad and, like, disagreeing with Kevin. I don't think there's anything wrong with, I mean, I do think that what Voight's perspective on the whole situation is not great. But there's nothing wrong with disagreeing. But, like, did you have to go this far? Yeah, and looking at the things that he says to him in this scene, like, first off, Hank, how dare you? How dare you, at the end of last season, tell Nolan that Kevin Atwater is like a son to you and then turn around and tell him these kind of things and tell him to get another job and say, do you want to be a Boy Scout? How dare you? But, yeah. I, I still don't really have words for this. No. I will say, though, I loved... When Kevin said, he's like, well, Sarge, this is your unit. I'm proud to work here, but things have definitely changed, and that means we got to change, too. I yes. love that he told him that. And I, how, how is it that Atwater recognizing what's wrong with this and saying we have to change, too, I'm, I find it really, like, almost kind of discouraging that it, it's such a foreign concept. And I really hope that it's – I would like to think and hope that it's not a foreign concept in our law enforcement departments here in 2020 at this point in the game. I would like to think that a cop saying that like we have to change is not so unfathomable, but who knows? Yeah, I think, yeah. But then when Voight takes that minute after, like once he says, he's like, you know, and in my unit, we do whatever we gotta do, put the bad guys away, whatever it takes. And then like Kevin's gone. And he, like, has this moment where he's just, like, sitting to himself in that chair and thinking. I was like, okay, maybe we will see some reflective void. And then we don't because, yeah, we just don't. We kind of do only in that he chooses to drive away. But, I, yeah. I mean, I think in that case your words are more impactful than your actions, right? I don't think Kevin's going to care that you drove away from the scene. I think Kevin is really hurt by the words that you said. Yeah, I would be too. But also, quick shout out to Gavin Harris for getting Voight to say woke. Said point. Yeah, when that happened, I was like, whoa, okay. I didn't know Ke- I didn't know Hank. But especially just, especially just like in Jason Begay's, like the way he acts. when he's like, he's like, am I not woke enough for you? I mean, it's just like A plus acting. It was amazing. But I mean, he, he, he said it in a very patronizing way. Yeah. Again, A plus acting. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, and then this Kevin part of the storyline, at least, ends with Kevin going home and then seeing someone waiting for Nolan, like, waiting for him, flicking the lighter. So Kevin's going to go confront him. And then all of a sudden, gets jumped by a group of, like, three or four guys, and they leave Kevin, like, beaten up in the street. I know. How is, how is Kevin alone in this right now? How is it that Kevin and Adam are, like, the, they're, they're just, they're, they're, by themselves. Are you kidding me? Yeah. 
Where's the blue wall there? It's a great question. And where's Upstead? And where's Burgess? I just, uh. I know. I know. But yeah. So, but like where? I mean, and the, the episode descriptions are implying this is going to get worse. Are you kidding me? I know. I know. I feel like that Mean Girls gift right now where the girl is like, I just have a lot of feelings. Yep. It just it baffles me. Baffles me. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. So the case itself. Um, take us through it. <laughs> I, need, I need some water. Okay. So basically the case really isn't that important. I mean, like, half the time you're like, what are, why are we having a case of the week? Again, I hate the, this format. I really do sometimes. Same. Um, but basically, a five-year-old gets shot just walking down the street with her dad, and they, they assume it's a stray bullet, but they're not really sure. So, intelligence starts canvassing the, or the neighborhood, but of course, nobody wants to admit to the police that they saw anything. And Haley and Jay are trying to question a witness, but that witness won't really give them the time of day. Um, and he calls Jay a bitch, and he says, y'all racist-ass cops aren't welcome around here no more, and Haley and Jay are super offended. But they walk away. Yeah. And then Burgess gets beer bottle thrown at them, and again, Ruzik tries to escalate, and Burgess stops them. She's like, again, I'm not risking my career over a damn beer bottle. Like, you let it go. Do you think they kind of rushed through the anti-police sentiment a little bit there? And we're just like, here's two quick scenes moving on? I think they just had so much other stuff to get to. I don't think they're going to give up on it completely. I don't think they're going, but I think there was other sur- story to serve in this episode. Yeah. There's other things to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so they try to question the girl's father because at first it comes up in their system that like he may be associated with a gang, but he denies that um, and says he like his possession charge was just because he found they pulled him over with like two joints in his car. Okay, cool. Um, but the dad does able to remember that he heard a car speed off real fast on the other side of the alley. So intelligence goes to pull some pod footage from the alley and finds this video of two guys like fighting and then one of them shooting at each other. So they realize that's where the straight bullet came from. And they, of course, see a church logo in the background. So Haley and Jay go check it out and find the pastor tied up because of course they do. And the pastor's like, yeah, I was holding money for a drug dealer. And you're like, okay, this is a little too easy. Um, and he's like, yeah, in order to avoid it looking like I was involved in the robbery, though, I ran after the guy, almost got shot at. But then, of course, the guy drew off. So Voight goes to see the drug dealer, Carlos, who's like, yeah, I don't know who knew where the money was. I don't know. I didn't tell anyone. But, of course, they run police on the car from the footage, and they find out that it's registered to none other than Carlos's ex, Anna. Anita? Anna? Whatever her name was? Anna. Anna. Okay. So, Carlos apparently hasn't been paying child support, so she's just probably trying to take what's hers. But she doesn't budge, though, when she gets brought into the room, interrogation room, and, like, won't give up who was driving the car. Which is why Rusick and Kevin go and sit in front of her house. Mm-hmm. So then Rusick and Kevin are going over some surveillance video. And they see a guy that's leaving her house. And he is identified as Miguel Cortez. 
And they're ultimately able to match him to the guy with the gun from the video. Um, so intelligence gets a warrant for Miguel and they ultimately find him, find the money from the church, which was even still left in the church bag, which was like, how dumb are you? Mm-hmm. You left it in the bag with the church insignia. Yeah, you're not okay, that bright. Okay, cool. You're, you're not, not that bright. That bright. No. But then, of course, the deputy superintendent comes to see Void and, like, yeah, you kick down the door without announcing your office. Like, the entry is deemed improper then, and now your evidence is inadmissible. Mm, I, okay, it's been a full decade since Gina took criminal procedure, but that doesn't sound right to me. Because then they kick down the door, you hear somebody yell, Chicago PD, I think it's Adam. No, Adam doesn't yell it. Adam says, I, you know, I forgot to, he admits to not yelling it. Somebody yells Chicago PD, though. I don't, no, they don't. No, I'm, I need to go back and check. But still, like, I, well, okay, I guess. I I know, I think it's a little, it sounds a little crazy to me, too, but, like, I don't know. I guess I can kind of see it because Adam says he's like, I saw the blinds move and is, does that count as an exigent circumstance? Cause that's when you can get around a warrant, but, and that's usually when you don't have to knock and announce. But yeah, it's a little, but I love her line here. She's like, the days are playing got her over the quicker you understand that the better. Where was she in the early seasons of Med? I know. Connor. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the early seasons of PD. Um, but yeah, so Voight tells this to the unit and basically is like, the reality is nobody's got the guts to stand up for police right now. Not the mayor, not the white shirts in the ivory tower. No one. Get used to it. So is Voight basically saying we should bend the rules of criminal procedure to allow that evidence in? Yeah, he wants, Voight wants to do things his way. I get it, because like then they would actually get him. Yeah. But. But. So Voight's like, yeah, we got to start over and find new evidence. So again, Voight talks to Miguel, tries to get him to confess, but Miguel's not having that, playing that game. And Voight's like, what is the matter with you? Yeah, because he wants a lawyer. Yeah. Um, But then this is the scene you were talking about. Like Platt tells Voight that the little girl's dad's here to see him. Apparently, Laura, the little girl, died at bed. So now the dad, of course, is all basically in on revenge for the you know his little girl mm-hmm. um and he gets upset that Voight still doesn't have her killer in custody because Voight tells him that like we're well, pretty sure we know who did it but we can't get him yet right now mm-hmm. um Miguel ends up walking free from the precinct because he lawyers up and you know they don't have anything on him um and Voight takes this moment though to follow him to his house and, like, puts on a glove, everything, grabs a gun, and then ultimately drives away without having done anything. But he thinks about it. I guess this is not one but two instances of showing that Voight is capable of change because the old Voight would have given that name to the father. Like, in, even as early as last season, I think Voight would have given the name to the father. I don't know if he would have given the name to the father, but he probably would have done something. I don't know what, but he would have done something. And he ultimately chooses to drive away. But, I mean, again, that's and, – and, yeah, actions do matter more than words, yes. But at the same time, if I'm, if I'm Kevin, if I'm anybody looking from the outside in, I'm like, why, why is he talking like this and then going and doing that instead? Yeah. Um. I, the thing that we were talking about, though, where we were talking about 
canceling Haley and you know whatever this is kind of why I'm like okay it's a tv show this is where I was having to remind myself like okay it's a tv show Mm -hmm. like let's see if wait you know this is one thing but let's see what happens next week and like I'm not saying I don't like boy I mean I still don't really like Boyd I don't really care for anything he said in this episode the way he acted or whatever but I'm willing to see if he's gonna actually follow through with some sort of reform and I think this was, like, maybe a case. And this is where I was like, okay, it's a TV show. Let's see how it plays out yeah. for a little bit more. Yeah. So, but, yeah, that's basically the case. Again, I didn't really care about the case. No, I mean, me neither. I don't, I, I don't, I can't really, I, I can recall, like, maybe on one hand, all the times I've, like, actually cared about the case. Um, yeah, so you guys were really vocal about this one, which is exactly as we should. I mean, we should be talking after this episode because there was so much. So Haley said, can we talk about the irony of Ruzik being the one to refuse the cage when in the past he's always been on Voight's side? Um, I'll take that one further. Why do we even still have the cage? I know. Why is it even still an option? Why is it even still a thing? I can guarantee that intelligence is not the only unit that knows about this cage. Why is it still there? I don't know. It's a great question. Like you're gonna you're gonna put cameras in the interrogation rooms. You're not gonna take out the cage. That's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so Haley also said it looks like Burgess got through to him. Also, what was the point of Ruzik looking over at Burgess in his scene with Atwater? Was he making sure she couldn't hear, or was he just staring because he's in love with her? I'm gonna go with both. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with that every time. Every time Burgess <laughs> stares at Ruzik, or they stare at each other, it's because they love each other. That's just a nice like happy. Headcanon going with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian, take us through the next one, please. So, Watchers on the Bed said, so weird how most of intelligence doesn't actually interact with Kevin. Zero Birchwater, and it's been a while. Yeah. I don't even recall if there's a significant relationship between Upstead and Atwater. Also, even if it was brutal and hard to watch, the screaming match with Voight was very well done and made sense regarding how it was boiling up to that. I liked it. They need to hit rock bottom before building this relationship back up. Yeah, but the stakes are so high this time around that if they hit rock bottom, is there even any building back up? That's a great point. Um, but yeah, I do agree that like, do Upset and Atwater even have like a relationship? I don't know. Not really. I mean, I mean, they're friends, yes, but they're not tight. It's the same thing yeah. with like, it, it's just like Jay and Burgess, right? How everybody's like, eh, they just are there. So Teresa said, I really thought it was a great episode and I'm nervous to see where it goes. Atwater needs more support. Preach. Yes. People in the back. Yes. She said, it's always Ruzik. I love how Atwater stood up and said, we can't have the cage anymore. What needs to shape up? The ending with Atwater being beat up just hurt my heart. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm almost kind of glad that somebody spoiled that just so we knew it was coming. Yeah. It still hurt. Oh yeah. No, it definitely still hurt. Definitely still hurt. Um. Megan said, sent us like a long email and she said, I worked for CPS for seven years before becoming a victim advocate and I work hand in hand with police in our prosecutor's office. I agree with police reform, but I'm also a huge supporter of the police. I've worked with great officers and some not so good ones. I think one issue that's going to get overlooked from the PD episode is that so often a defendant in a case has more rights than the victim in the case. I know we have the same standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt for a reason, but I've sat in so many hearings where the rights of the defendant take priority over the rights of the victims. There's a constant battle between police and the prosecutors. The police get frustrated 
that the state won't take cases if they aren't, and I quote, tied up in a red bow. But on the other hand, prosecutors want the cases to be better worked by police. In turn, victims go without justice. Our system is broken on so many levels. Again, empathy is a thing. Proud of PD for going there and addressing police brutality and racism in our country. Yeah, and I mean, I could have that conversation about the system being broken for ever, ever, ever. It's, it's, it's broken. It's completely broken, so... Um, Rory said, PD had me screaming at the TV. Nobody comes after Kevin. I am fighting. Girl, get in line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Jocelyn said, I hate that it seems like the only person that is standing by Kevin is Rusick. And Hank really needs to just go away at this point. Let Halstead be in charge. I mean. I'm not opposed to that. That. What Bryna said. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if, if, if Voight's going to keep talking to Kevin the way he did in this episode, then, like, shoot. Yeah. 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 Catherine said, Kevin and Adam are friendship goals, not that my goal is to be targeted by racist and stupid cops. Okay. <laughs> um, Kevin and Adam are friendship goals, and I mean this because Adam is there for Kev, even though he's never going to be able to understand the extent of the problem and what Kev's going through. Yes. That is, that's a big, that's a big statement. It's a big testament as to who Adam is, right? Is that Adam mm-hmm. knows that he is never going to be able to empathize with Kevin, but he's just there for him. Yeah. No yeah. matter what. And this is not the first time either. We've seen it many, many times. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, she also said, besides this, I'm angry because Kim's not around. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm angry. I'm just curious. I'm like, where, where is she in all of this? She knows that Kevin's going through this. Right. Yeah. And she said, I see the three of them as one friendship, and it kind of bugged me Kim wasn't included in the search for the dope. Also, I can't even acknowledge Voight this episode. He was so wrong and out of line that I refuse to even believe he was there, especially at the end. I really hope he can grow with the world and society because if he doesn't, I'm not against him being removed and being held for his actions. Would they ever do that? No, I think only because Jason Begay is probably number one on the call sheet. Mm-hmm. And I think something would have to like happen for him to get removed. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. But, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't be opposed to it that either like a portion of an episode where like Voight can't be the point person. So Jay is. Yeah. I'd be cool with that. I haven't liked it in the past when like Voight has had to go deal with something else and like Lindsay was in charge or Antonio was in charge. I didn't like that. Um, but I'm willing to give Jay a chance. Um, Samantha said, there's no doubt that Atwater did the right thing by speaking up, but it was clear that it wouldn't be without its consequences. We can all learn a thing or two from Kevin. He told the truth regardless of the consequences. He knew that his career and life could be put into jeopardy because of it, but he valued the truth over all of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I admire Kevin for having the courage and guts to stand up for what's right and not for taking the easy way out when given the chance. The truth matters, so tell it no matter what. This was a powerful storyline, and the Royce reserves all the awards for this episode. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, good for Kevin for sticking to the truth. Yeah. Good for and him. She, she also kept going, and she said, through thick and thin, Ruzwater have always had each other's backs. I'm glad Kevin had Adam on to lean, lean on through this. Going through all of that alone would be hell. My heart is full knowing that no matter what happens, and regardless of what uh, some of the others in uniform might think, Atwater will always have someone on his side. Sometimes knowing even knowing even one person has your back can make all the difference. And right now it seems like Kevin can use all the support he can get. Kevin could use all the support, support he, can, he get. can get. I don't understand. Yeah. Where the hell are you upstead and Burgess? <sighs> Heather said, I like that it showed not just the two sides, but the police caught in the middle, like Jay and Adam who understand the change needed and want it, but are labeled due to the actions of others. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Rory also said, I love that Kevin called out Upton for her remarks. Her white privilege was rearing its head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and last up from a, a listener named Kevin. A listener named Kevin. Um, surprise, Kevin Atwater pitched into the pod. Just kidding. <laughs> um, listener named Kevin. He said, scared. The way Atwater and Voight disagreed at each other at the end to Voight being this close to going back to his old ways of being a dirty cop and Atwater getting beat up are signs of a unit about to be disbanded. I don't know if I would say disbanded. I would say a unit divided. Or fractured, yeah. Yeah. So just what an yeah. episode. What an episode. What a way to start off the season. Right? Just I a- will say, though, I mean, as frustrating as it is, I think based on how this episode went, I think this has a chance to be, like, a breakout season for people. Like, I think this is going to be a good season. Because as much as this episode frustrated me, the storytelling and, like, it was good. Like, it was a good episode. Like, I loved everything about it. It's just, I hated it because of the actions of the characters and that I don't like Voight and the way Voight's reacting. But I thought as an episode, it was excellent. Yeah, it was it, three really, really strong premieres. Yeah, really, really strong. So hopefully, you know, they can all stay safe so that we can actually get the full 15 episodes. Um, hopefully. Obviously, the health and safety of the cast and crew is the most important thing in the world. We've got old episodes we can cover, you know, if they, if they need to stop. But, you know, hopefully things can, they can all stay safe and healthy so that we can see the season out because it's got potential to be huge. Yeah. So, yeah. any other notes on PD? No, I think that's it. Brenna, we just covered the first new episode in seven months. I know, I'm so excited. It felt so good. My goodness. Okay, so. You guys know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. Uh, Meet us at Molly's right across the board. You guys, we're on Patreon now. If you would like to find out how to get some extra perks for supporting the pod, you can check out the link in our bio across our social media. Uh, we have a Tee Public store. You guys, we have a, a new PD design that is like kick-ass. My friend Emily I'm designed it. Obsessed. 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 So um, Tee Public is having a lot of sales right now, like on and off through the holidays. So like we've, we've entered the holiday season. So like go get your gear, guys. And we've got squad goal shirts. We've got like the new, the new PD design. Like I'm not even kidding. My friend Emily's incredible with Photoshop and I'm obsessed with it. I know you I'm are. Obsessed. Yeah. I was like, I actually, I mean, I've bought our own merch before, but I'm actually going to buy this one too. You guys can't see it, but I'm wearing our fire squad goal shirt right now. So. Yeah. I wore, are you wearing the new one or the old one? The, the new one. So it's got, it's got Gallo and Ritter on it. I um, meant to, I meant to order the new one and then somehow I ordered the old one, but like, I still love it. You know, we have to do an updated one now that Mackie's here. I know. Jesus. <laughs> and now that, uh, Rojas is gone off the PD one and yeah. Well, but the Rojas one, I went back to the old PD one because the old PD one just didn't have her. That's true. So, yeah. Just, yeah, go check it out. We've got a lot of good gear on there. Um, and my friend Emily, I already put her up to another one. So there's probably a fire one forthcoming. <laughs> um, yeah. <sighs> Surprise, I did that. So yes. there's a lot of good things coming your way, guys. Like a lot of good things. We're, we're, we're having fun. So, um, Send us an email anytime about anything. Meet us at mollies at gmail.com. If you like the show, which we so, so hope you do, you've made it to the end of this episode, which might very well be the longest episode we've ever recorded, by the way. Probably. Uh, probably. So if you don't mind leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, we would so greatly appreciate that. Follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV, Bryna. I am at Bryna K13. Normal schedule, y'all. We get new episodes again next week. Actually, we will be back on Monday. 
<gasps> we will be back on Monday because we're talking to Adrian Ray over the weekend. I forgot about that. Yes. yes, we will actually be back on Monday. You'll hear from us twice next week. Yes, if you are listening to this on Friday, the 14th, 13th, 13th Friday yeah, the 13th. If you are listening to this on Friday the 13th, it is not too late to get us your questions for Adrian. So tweet them to us, send it to us. We're talking to her on Saturday. You will hear from us on Monday and on Friday. So, um, and that's about all we've got. So in the meantime, everybody mask up, wash your hands. I know I say it every week, but like really cases are at an all time high. Like everybody please stay safe. Um, have a good weekend and we will see you next week. Bye.